by. You want to guess what that song is? You're welcome to give <laughs> us a call at 714-545-2071. What do you think it is, Patricia? That is really pretty. I've never heard it as an instrumental before. Ah, you think you like Can it? Can you imagine? You think you like it? I think I like it. Oh. I think you can turn yourself up a tick. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> Just a little tick. Okay. Yeah, that's good. That's good right there. All right. It's a Thursday night, everybody. January 4th, 2018, and, you know, we still, we still play Christmas music. Because the season's not over yet. That is true. Is Patricia at the piano someday when she'll, she'll do those little quink quinks? <laughs> if you say so. <laughs> oh, why not? Are we having, yeah, why not? Why not? Why not? Why not? You know, you, you only tell good stuff I most do. of the time. I do, yeah. <laughs> most of the time. I have, okay. I have faith mm-hmm. in your abilities and talents and things like that. Oh, Good. And I, so I can. I, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. And I know you can sing opera someday. So I just, I just know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, heavens to Betsy on the whole world. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, that's Patricia I, from Florida. Hmm? I'm Walden from Costa Mesa. And Bill is under the weather tonight. And Mike is on vacation. 
John Lowy. He is with the weather. Yeah. Oh, I wonder if it got cold. Um, I'm sorry. You, you, John, what? John Lowy under the weather, and I think the rest of the country must be buried in this stuff. There must be a lot of snow. I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. You know, even Patricia, at 37 degrees, is cold. 30, 36 this morning. People were people worked all day in jackets and sweaters. I considered putting on two shirts, but I settled for one, uh-huh. and it was pretty good because it's long sleeves and it's fuzzy and stuff like that there. Okay. So. You still have your Mickey Mouse socks, Sandy? I don't have Mickey Mouse socks. I have Snoopy socks. Snoopy socks. Okay. Yeah, okay. they're in the drawer. Okay. They're thin, so I I wouldn't wear them in the winter time. Okay. Mm-mm. You know what I'm going to do? Yes. I am going to add up the numbers of people. Even as we speak, I'm going to be doing this. The numbers of people who are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, good. This is one of the stuff we were going to talk about last night. We, we, mm-hmm. we about. Yeah, I told you I would look it up. Yeah. And uh, it went, it started in 1988. And you said, oh, gee, it can't be that many, right? Right. Okay. Started at 16. Okay. 22, 9, 9, 13, 11, 12, 11, 10, 9, 9, 10, 8, 10, and it just keeps going wow. on and on and on. Wow. So, um, so that's see, we probably got about 10. 300, 400 people there. I would think so. So my guess is how many are females? Maybe like the first five years, like from 88 well. to 93, <laughs> how many are females? Well, or I can they, tell you. Or are they female mm-hmm. we recognize? Well, you know, many of these are groups, and um, I don't, I don't recognize a million of them. You know, <laughs> so, um, you can't go by me. I guess I'm as bad on well, this I, as I, I am on movies. Well, I'm not, I'm not a rock and roll expert, but are the names you're familiar with are those things that you recognize in the last five, first five years? Uh, well, I'm on I'm on the last year. No, I'm not. 2000, yeah. Um, let's see, 2006, I recognize Herb Alpert. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I don't consider okay. Herb Alpert rock and roll. No. I'm waiting to see the rest of them. <laughs> there are people here in suits because they're non-performers. <laughs> okay, so we've got, yeah, Elvis and Chuck Berry, Buddy Holly, Alan Freed. I don't know Alan Freed. Oh, non-performer. The rock, non-performer. The, the rock and roll disc jockey. Okay. Yeah. And he's in the hall. This is the first year. And then we had Fats Domino, James Brown, Jerry Lee Lewis, Jimmy Rogers, and Ray Charles, Little Richard, John Hammond. I don't know. That's a new one on me. I, yeah, I don't know that one. The induction category. Amit Erdogan, a word. I don't know that name either. Nope. Uh, don't know Jim Vancey. Nope. Oh, that he's early influences. He's not a uh, performer. Early influences for Robert Johnson. Don't know that. Sam Cooke, Sam Phillips, non-performer. And the Everly Brothers. That was the first year. I think they did. They, one of them had 22. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 1987 had 22. And... Uh, then it started petering out a little bit, and I think they they scared themselves that maybe they would run out of singers. I don't know. Not so too, let's see. Not too many females so far. 
No females yeah, so far. That's what I mean. Okay, let's see. Mm-mm. At least these are one I recognize. Mm-hmm. Hard not to recognize. Um, okay, Aretha Franklin. Yep. We talked and she about was next to B.B. King. Whoa, okay. boy, what a guitar player he yeah. was. Phew. Aretha Franklin, Bill Haley, Bo Diddley, Carl Perkins. Um, and that's the only uh, Marvin Gaye, Ricky Nelson, Smokey Robinson. That's the one with 22. So that was one woman so far. One woman so far. Mm-hmm. And we are up to 88 I'm not going to read off the names. No. I'll just look for women now. Yeah, yes, women. Um, no, 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 no. Uh, they had a group award for uh, the Supremes, and those were three okay. women. Yeah, so that Diana, was a group. Yeah, we talked about yeah. them last night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned them. Um, so, so far we're not batting a whole million here. I know. Bessie Smith, what do you know? Uh, she certainly wasn't rock and roll. Yeah, blues, yeah. But, yeah, they have a group uh, for early influences. Okay. have no idea how you, would, how you would qualify for that. Okay, so Bessie Smith, we are up to one group and two women. <laughs> not good, not good. You guys got to get on the stick here. <laughs> um, okay. Carol King and Gary Goffin. I don't know Carol King. I've heard of the name. I couldn't tell you one song. You know. Okay, so she's one of a duo. Ma Rainey, inducted 1990. Yeah, Yeah, I've heard of her. So that's one more. So we've got three women and two multiple. Yeah. Yeah. 1991. You can tell everybody we're not rock and roll experts if you haven't figured this out. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I don't recognize Ike and Tina Turner. They were contemporary. Yes. Jimmy Reed, I don't know. Howlin' Wolf, that's an early influence. A non performer. Uh, uh, okay, Laverne Baker. She was good. She was early on. Early, yeah. I recognize that name. So now we've got. Four women and two groups. And next page. They're not doing very well here. Mm-mm-mm. There were a lot of rock and roll women. And they sure got bypassed, didn't they? But they they do late ones, too. No women, no women, no women, no women, no women, no women. On to 93. <laughs> Isn't this incredible? Uh, uh, okay, there's one. Dinah Washington. Sure. Good. Dinah, yeah. But I don't consider Brown. her rock and roll. I consider her adult standards. But you know, yeah. 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 And Etta James. Yes. It certainly is not rock and roll. No. I don't think. No. My goodness. Well, I'm going to start going backwards now and see how well they did in the later years. Ah, shoot. I mean, it, 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 it's just, they need to get Peggy Lee and Doris Day. I mean, my goodness gracious. They're, no, they're, they need some more some more female influence over there. You know, come on. Mm-hmm. Come on We've got 2018 up here already. They must, I, I guess they induct them at the beginning of every year, and their well, measurements mm-hmm. are up to the end of the previous year. Mm-hmm. Sister Rosetta, early influence, not current at all. 
So they didn't do well in 2018 either. <clears throat> Excuse me, they've got a funny scroll down thingy here. Do we have a Writer's Hall of Fame? I mean, you know, there's a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, is there a Writer's Hall of Fame? Yeah. No, there are Writer's Awards. Okay, one in 2017. Okay, so we need a Writer's Hall of Fame? Yep. <laughs> I can do that. Oh, now I have to put the phone down you because bet. it slides it slides out from under my ear and okay. you're going to clunk on this nah, deck. Hold that. on. We are live. You can give us a call at 714-545-2071. Patricia and I are here. Well, Patricia will deck out before midnight or so. We'll play radio shows after that. Uh, tomorrow, John Larry and I will be here. We're going to look back. Writer's the- Hall of Fame. Yeah. My goodness. All right. Nonprofit organization. That doesn't surprise me. Nobody (laughs) knows a whole lot of people. Excuse me. 2017, Michael Bryan. I'm not familiar at all with most of the early, uh, not early, but most of the current. Mm. Now, here is something interesting. One, two, three. Four, five out of three, six, seven, five out of seven in 2017. Mm-hmm. Five out of seven are women. I get, the, I get the writers of a more of a female field than yeah. who all music is. And young, they look like they've just graduated from high school. Go figure. Where is the Writers Hall of Fame located? Well, let's see. About, let's see. About the Hall of Fame. Board of Directors. Don't say nothing on that page. Gathered in. Okay. Oh, Springfield, Missouri. Mm. And it's only been going since 1994. Well, gee, that's. That's pretty good. That's 20, 24 years. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll nominate a P- Patricia for this year's award. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I have to give them a whole bunch of stuff, and it has to have my byline. And I used to ask not to have my byline run with stuff. Yeah. Um, well, we'll just put you in the mystery department. Okay. Mystery writers. Uh, or mystery person. Or, or the ghost writers. The ghost writers hall of fame. Ghost writers in the sky. Yes, <laughs> this is good. This is good. So, okay, so I did that and I've got stuff. And we are live tonight. It is Thursday night, January 4th. And we are just finishing up the holiday yep. season. Yep. So it would be ever so nice if you gave us a call, right? Yep. Yes, if not, you, you, if, if not, we'll let Patricia go before midnight. Right. Uh, something like that. Yeah. And we are at 714-545-2071. And she'll be with us Saturday, Saturday night, of course, on her normal time slot. I'm still debating what interviews to play afterwards, either the time when Jim Jordan sat in with Ray Bream or with another Artie Shaw. Mm-hmm. So we'll figure that out Saturday night, whatever in the mood. It's so much fun to listen to the whole Ray Bream interviews while it's Patricia's in bed, tucking away. <laughs> but that's the plans for Saturday. 
And uh, next week, if Bill's still sick, maybe we'll do a couple short shows, you know. But we'll we'll wait and see until Bill let us know. Um, I know for sure next Wednesday I won't be able to do it at the Spurvac board meeting on the 10th. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see what Monday and Tuesday looks like. And, uh, but you can give us a call at 714-545-2071. Love to hear from you. I know you, a lot of you, maybe a lot of you are all sick, or maybe none of you have telephone service. You may, you don't Ooh, what yes, you? and this this horrible storm is, I guess tomorrow or tonight is going to start clobbering the northeast yes. as an extension. Oh, my gosh. They are hunkering down. Like One of the weather services is calling it a winter hurricane. That's scary. It is very scary. So, so if you can send Patricia an email, let her know you're okay at floridawriter@hotmail.com. You know, we kept track of Fort Patricia during the hurricane when she went through. A That's few right. Ago. So you keep you let us know about you. And you took took care of me following him around when I was sick. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. 2017 was an eventful year for the for our Saturday night family. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! So we're happy to bury it, yeah. And just pretend that we might go back and look at it, but <laughs> for right now, it is out of sight, out of mind. It is out of our calendars, and I have ordered a kinder and gentler new year. I'm pretty good at ordering stuff. I don't know about the <laughs> the fulfillment departments, but. <laughs> That is the way it is. So you have, okay. a, you have anything inside your refrigerator yet? You do. You still have a can of soda pop or anything in your refrigerator? No, two little containers of milk. We don't go to Walmart until a week from Saturday. Okay. So and Patricia, Patricia, I have to wait. Patricia does have her tootsie rolls, everybody. So she's loaded for bear with tootsie rolls and burger rolls. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And my brother and sister-in-law sent me a gift, certi- a, a gift card. All right. Ah. $25 gift card? Isn't that super? That's really super. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I ate a bourbon ball already today. Oh, my god! Thank you, Dan. You know, I think next year, just bypass the um, the, the candy part and just send a bottle of bourbon. <laughs> this stuff is good. <laughs> just a bottle of bourbon will do just fine. Wow. It tastes like it didn't have quite as much or doesn't have quite as much bourbon I this th- year as think. last year. I've had yeah. I've had three of them so far, and that's what I think. I I think they're not as intoxicating. <laughs> not as not as bourbonized. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the bottle for next year will do just great. Yeah. We can whack that off in a week. Uh... <laughs> Anyways, not you quite. Have, if you yeah. have some, if you have some topics you like to talk about with us, we're open to that at seven one four five four five two zero seven. One. Um, so let's see, January fourth. Oh, yes. Let go. Let go. Let go. This is yesterday, USA. I'm sorry. Did it, okay. did I blow your brains out? Yeah, but that's okay. I had somebody had somebody grab me from behind here. Okay, good. You want okay. you want you want you want to go take care of this stuff, and I'll get play some music. Mm, no, it's okay. Okay. 
Okay, I'd rather you be safe, my dear. Yeah, hold on just a minute. Okay. And... Let's put some more music on. Not as safe as I thought it was. Yeah. We're okay. Phew. I'm sorry. No, I'm glad you're there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, everything. If you just take him back to his room. Yeah, I know. Telling, telling me to be careful. Good grief. Yeah. Good grief. He had me by the neck, so that's why I screamed. So. Yeah. I'm glad you did. Um, I'm glad you yeah, did. Yeah, me too. And I'm sorry it blew your ear no, out. No, I apologize, no. everybody. No, no, I'm glad I'm glad you did because uh, I, I, I had visions of something else, so I'm glad, I'm glad, mm-hmm. I'm glad you That's mm-hmm. <laughs> right. We could have visions, but apparently he's having a difficult night. Yeah. I did not, I, you know, I've seen him around. I didn't realize that he had any problems, mm. but I was his problem tonight. I didn't even see him coming. Good grief, because my back is to everything. But anyway, I have, you were talking about what? Well, maybe may, maybe we need to have you move the show the other way around, if you can do that. Um, yeah, well, I could do that, but then I can't see my computer. Normally, oh, okay. I can see people coming. I just wasn't paying attention. So, I guess we're anyway. going to have to put a mirror on the wall. That way you can walk behind you. <laughs> right. It's good. I can see who's joking me. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. So I have a couple of tidbits about left-handed people. Yes. How many left-handed? Ah, left-handed people in our family out there. If you are left-handed, please call me because I know left-handed people in this world have a great deal of challenges. Uh, You really have to look for things that are designed for left-handed people like scissors, things like that. Knives and even cars are, are they lean toward or favor right-handed people. Everything is on the right-hand side. However, there are 30 million people in the United States, which sounds like a lot of people, except it's 10% of the, less than 10% of the population. We've got about 330 million people right. in our little country. So less than 10% or fewer than 10% are left-handed. Now, the bad news is, the really bad news, um, left-handed people are five times more likely to die in accidents than righties. I would not have guessed. You know, there's some distractions and some things that are so. But the good thing is lefties have fewer ulcers than righties. (laughs) I don't know why. Heavens to Betsy, we put all that pressure on them. But... Ulcers, you know, ulcers are, are considered more a bacterial infection than, you know, a stress-related thing. Really? I always, you, yeah. you, always, you always thought ulcers were due to stress. That, that, mm-hmm. I never knew that. Okay. Yeah. And I can't remember the name. Pylori is in there. And that's part of the digestive system, the... Um, you can get pyloric stenosis, mm-hmm. and that's what babies get sometimes. 
But, um, yeah, it's, and, of course, after you have an ulcer, then it, it can be aggravated if your stress levels go up, but it doesn't cause it. Mm. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Mm. So that's my, that's my tidbit for tonight. Left-handed people always have a driver, if you will, please, because, I mean, five times. I wonder who did that kind of a study. I don't know, probably a left-handed person. I suppose, but my, my, I, I mean, how would you determine it? I don't, I don't know how. That's not something you typically screen that I know of. I don't think that's something that you typically screen. Now, see, what happened? Now, see, now, my brother ambidextrous. Mm-hmm. He he kicks with his left. He writes with his. He kicks with his left. He writes with his mm-hmm. right, and he can throw a baseball the same distance from both sides. Can he write with his left hand comfortably? Probably. I don't know. We've never asked him to, but I bet we yeah. could, you know. Yeah. My dad was left-handed, uh-huh. and he grew up in a time where that was terribly discouraged. Left-handed people were considered possessed at times, can you imagine? Wow. And children in school were forced to switch writing, at least, to their right hands. Um, I'm right-handed, but I couldn't mm-hmm. write with my left, but I just, I just feel awkward. But I could do it, you know. Yeah. I had to learn to write with my left hand, and it it is an arduous process, but I could do it. And I had really (laughs) stilted but really good penmanship with my left hand. It just took forever for me to do things like write a check. So I I won't do that. If I get hurt, I'll make sure it's on the left side next time. You, 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 you know, uh, now, see, uh, that used to be a big thing when my dad grew up, and I think it was even to the 40s with pen, penmanship. Uh-huh. And uh, they, I think that was big in the third grade. And even, I That's think, right. And I think it even and judged people how they held a pen. Or That's in, correct. In their hands. Mm-hmm. And I'm not You sure. are absolutely right. And right up until Beaver, I think Leave It to Beaver, they would have penmanship on a report card. Mm-hmm. And see, it's interesting. I'm wondering, when when I hold a pen or a pencil in my hand, mm-hmm. I, um, the way I write, I use the thumb mm-hmm. and the two fingers. The, I get the index and the ring finger, and I sort of right. wrap it around, and I have the pen lay between my thumb and my first finger, the the, the fleshy part. And that's mm-hmm. generally how I, I hold a pen. Yeah. And those are the three fingers that the, um, shall we say, the professors of penmanship uh-huh. <laughs> operate. Yeah. But it's the way you stretch out the index finger and the middle finger that, you know, it's supposed to be lying almost flat on the pen. I couldn't write like that. Well, mine's sure like curl, well, in a way, I yeah, guess I am. Yeah, I curl around the mm-hmm. pen to give me a grip. Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly, but at least as, as far as I'm concerned, at least I, as if I practice on understandability this week and make sure I look at the paper when I am writing and not anyplace else. Now, I guess so. in the old, if you if you gripped it a different way, like sure, like a like a fist, that's, mm-hmm. that's another way to hold a pen. But to me, that seems awkward. But I think some yeah, people yeah. do it that way. And left-handed people frequently will curve their hand over the top, um, almost like they were hugging the, the paper, mm-hmm. in order to make the letters slant right the way a right-handed person mm. will do that. 
and um, it, it must have been extremely cumbersome for this that when they were children to learn how to write and feel that they had to mimic a right-handed person's handwriting. I, I can't imagine having to do that. I can't imagine having to curl my right hand around to make it look like I'm writing like a left-handed person. Silliness, silliness. When did we learn how to handwrite? With that, like, you know, I think we all learned how to print until a certain grade mm-hmm. level. And I think by, I seem to remember by the first grade to me, we, we started to work on, um, you know, more stylized forms of writing. Cursive. Um, the cursive. Yes. Um, I think, this is an I think, almost everyone who who is taught how to write. And I remember telling you the story about the young man in the, museum and research library yes. who couldn't couldn't sign off on something because yes. he didn't know how to write right. and he was in college um but on the um <laughs> oh oh when when we're taught my background experience with writing is different from what was happening everywhere else the kids everywhere else were learning cursive mm-hmm. in third grade and first grade and seventh second grade was practice to make perfect printing right. and it's understandable and get some speed up on that. I never learned how to print. I had to do that as an adult. I never <laughs> learned how to print. We, we started, isn't that crazy? You know, I'd look at this and say, it's got to be neater than this. I mean, how can you mess up printing? But I messed up printing. I flunked printing 101. <laughs> and we started cursive right away in first grade. Wow. Wow. And that served me well. I mean, you don't print your name on a check, no, so I do, but you know, I get away with murder. What can I say? Yes, you do. <laughs> so might we discuss that? So let's see here. Mm. So, so one Christmas we need to give you, let's see, ink and a feather, right? So you, you see, you can. Oh, a quill pen. <laughs> <laughs> a quill pen, a feather. Yes, yes. I don't know how to make a pen out of a feather. I know you have to shave the tip of the feather mm-hmm. or or clip it in a special way. But no, I I think I would be okay, I would I would have to add blob to my <laughs> to my alphabet XYZ blob. Well, why why <laughs> do they call it the ink blotter? An ink wheel and an ink blotter. I get the ink wheel pretty obvious. Oh, an ink well is where the the ink stays. It's like a little right. glass, but a glass thingy. A, what was a blotter? A, 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 a wink. <laughs> <laughs> an ink blotter actually blots up or sops up extra ink. When you were writing with a quill pen, mm-hmm. you frequently dropped extra ink along the way. And rather than waiting 24 hours to dry, you'd have this porous piece of paper that you pressed over it, and it sopped up all of the extra ink. Uh, and that happened with regular fountain pens, too. Okay. So that's why in mysteries, old mysteries, you'll hear somebody talking about, ah, picked up the, the blotter and held it up to the mirror. Yep. <clears throat> because, of course, the blotter would have picked it up in reverse. In reverse writing. A fountain pen. No. I get that. Now I know what that means. It's, you, I guess you get to add ink to the fountain part of the pen. I get that. Mm-hmm. that really Correct. Okay. It's got a little plunger on the side. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it sucks it right up. 714-545-2071 is our number. You can give Patricia and I a call. 
I mean, everybody must be on a holiday or just batting down the hush. That's okay. Maybe they don't know we're here. Maybe too. we're not on the air. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe no, you and I are just talking to ourselves. Yeah, no, I double check we're on the air and make sure again. Oh, isn't that terrible when we have to check to make sure that we're actually being heard? Uh, we're feeling so left out. I okay. Know, we're so, we're, our Saturday night family is always so good to us. And, you know, it takes a while to train Bill's family that we are a interactive show. Yes, mm-hmm. I myself, we're good. Yes, we we like taking phone calls at 714-545-2071. You know. And if you're left-handed, please call us because I want to know about your experiences. I'm right-handed. Do you remember one time when Nolan Kenner was on the phone with us, I asked him if he were left-handed, and he said, yes, how did you know? Did you ever make a check mark next to something? It's just a little line down and a long line, mm-hmm. and almost a, a V with a short side. Yeah, yep. I remember yeah. that. So it goes a little bit down and a long one slanting toward the right. Right. Left-handed people tend to do that in the opposite direction. Uh, so it's a short slash, uh, you know, a short line mm-hmm. on the right-hand side. Short line and left-hand slant. So that's how I knew because he had sent me something with check marks on it. Wow. And the check marks were different from, I mean, he could easily have been right-handed, but they, it, it's hard to make a check mark with, <laughs> with a left hand uh, when you're right-handed and vice versa. So that's how I knew he was left-handed. We're having a bad night here. (laughs) Somebody down the hall howling. So anyway, I have an It's a Wonderful Life story. And I'm going to, it's not too terribly long. I'll hop around. Um, Okay, it says it's it's a wonderful life bombed at the box office before becoming a Christmas classic. We knew that. Mm -hmm. Uh, The preview showing was in New York's Globe Theater, and it took place in May. It was a a May first time through. And why that happened, I don't know. But it said Frank Capra ended up $25,000 in debt, and we knew that was happening as well. However, an unnamed FBI agent who watched the film as part of a larger FBI program aimed at detecting and neutralizing communist influences in Hollywood, and of course that was fathered by J. Edgar Hoover, Mm -hmm. said it was very entertaining. However, the agent also identified what he considered a malignant undercurrent in the film. And as a result of this report, the film underwent further industry probes that uncovered those responsible for making It's a Wonderful Life and charged that they had employed two common tricks used by the communist propaganda in the film. This is getting interesting. The two common devices or tricks as applied to the Los Angeles branch of the Bureau were smearing values or institutions judged to be particularly American. In this case, the capitalist banker Mr. Potter is portrayed as a scroogey misanthrope and glorifying values of institutions or judged to be particularly anti-American or pro-communist. In this case, depression and existential crisis 
was an issue that the FBI reported as characterized subtle attempt to magnify the problems of the so-called common man in society. But it finishes up with a caution that um, it was a, it was a, even George uh, George Bailey was in the banking industry, he and was, that, you know, yeah. so everything, yeah, and and everything came together and picking on the bankers, and that was just terrible, <laughs> and so they were really giving them a very hard time about it's a wonderful life, until somebody pointed out that a banker won. On the good side, George Bailey was a banker, and he he won on the good side. But can you imagine taking that poor movie apart no. of all movies in the whole wide world? No. So that no. that was my interesting thing about It's a Wonderful Life, and that was the first time I had ever read anything like that. That's true. I never have. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Who is your favorite old-time radio announcer? Wow. There's so many good ones. Right right now I would choose Harold Wilcox to be my I would too. Yeah. Okay, he's from Nebraska. What can I say? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, I forgot about that. I would pick Harlow Wilcox as well. But do you remember who was the person who did the list, and, the, and one of the lists was of yes. uh, the best yeah. best uh, announcers, and yeah. Don Wilson was way up on the top, and yeah. poor Harlow Wilcox yeah. followed Bill, fairly, I think yeah. maybe fifth or sixth. Yeah, Bill, Bill Owens uh, put, put together such a list. Um, okay. Yeah. And did it, did Bill list. have any, or does he? Is he still with us? Uh-huh. Yep. He's, oh, good. Okay. You know, I... I Forgive me, Bill. Well, I just don't know. <laughs> I didn't recognize yeah, your name. Yeah, no, his, uh, his writing partner, Frank Buston, just passed away here a day or so ago. Those, those are the two oh. guys who wrote the big broadcast, the first book on old time radio. Oh, and, I'm so sorry yeah. about losses. Wow. Yeah, but. Uh, um, and I think you mentioned that the other day. I did. As well. Yeah. As well. It's, uh, <laughs> it's coming back. Yeah. Um, also, Elizabeth McLeod has OS. On the inter- uh-huh. in- internet, and uh, Bill Owens, he, he had Don Wilson at the best announcer of all time. Yeah. Don was good, but I don't know. Harlow Wilcox seemed to be in bigger demand. Uh, it, it seems like Cause you can yeah you can find Harlow on so many different shows. And so many different products, and he was able to manipulate her his delivery to fit the product. Yes, yes. Would 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 female announcers have worked? I don't think so. Why? I think they would have done an excellent job. Why? But well, first that radio was accustomed to hearing the male voice in that role, mm-hmm. and having a female in it would have just run counter to what people were accustomed to. So they had 48 strikes against them right there. Women, Mm -hmm. yeah, go ahead. Women were also backseat to men during those times. Okay. A woman never worked. A woman never countered her husband. A woman, you know. So I don't think that they would have the selling power. But they're the one that's spending the money on groceries and things like that. That's right. 
So they had they had control of the pe- the purse strings. Mm-hmm. So what what a female announcer work today? If we were having contemporary, I, uh, well, we do have a lot of female announcers today, mm-hmm. and many in the news industry, broadcasting news. We have huge numbers of women behind the desk on the news deliveries. I don't woman to woman. Yeah, I don't think woman to woman on a product push would that's work. What, I think what, man to woman. Yeah. yeah. That's I think, yeah, man to woman because of the way society operated at the time, mm-hmm. men made the decisions and women followed through. That's just the way it was. Whether or not it was right or wrong didn't make any difference. That's just the way life was. So I think a man had more influence on a woman. But we did have one old-time radio show that did have a female announcer. Hmm. Jinx. Falkenberg. Well, I consider her a host. Yeah. She did an Amana commercial yeah. for years. Yeah. I didn't know whether, I don't know whether or not she did anything else. Okay, a woman announcer. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I bet Inner Sanctum Mystery, Mary, the Mary, the spokesperson for Lipton Tea. Ah, okay, that's right. Hmm. She would be if she if she go back and listen to though that that's pretty straight copy. Once yeah. she's done once she's done with the the banter with Raymond the host, it's mm-hmm. pretty straight copy what she's reading. So to me she's the best well known Yeah. Old person yeah, I hadn't even remembered that. And now as I'm thinking I'm I'm reversing my my thought here. Oh <laughs> jeez. Even the Breakfast Club was male, mm-hmm. and that was morning stuff, and you would expect it to be soap opera type things. Was there anyone on any of the soap operas who was a regular, a woman? Well, the stars were. The stars were on the sh- of, the, yes. of the dramas. Yes. Uh, but I can't think of an actual, and that for a character part in a commercial, mm-hmm. where they had somebody play a character. Like, yeah. Uh, you always had, let's say, Aunt Jenny. He, she would interact with the announcer or something, mm-hmm. or something like that. Yes, it was part of a performance Correct. as opposed to a straight advertising delivery. Correct. But the more I think about it, women on, a, on speaking terms with each other, face-to-face, women would recommend products to each other, and that would be accepted. But still, I think it's a delivery on the radio. I think the women were more... I don't want to say brainwashed, but culturally groomed to listen to men and not express their own opinions. The the okay in in the here's another advertising vehicle, the magazines. I think you you have really helped us over the years look at magazines laid out and advertising mm-hmm. on internet. Mm-hmm. How much would that loaded loaded with women? How much was that dominated by the female writing community? Did, were, in other words, I'm thinking of would how how keep uh, good housekeeping those type were those written by female writers? I don't know who did the advertising writing. You know, I, I wonder know. if anyone ever knew, except the writers themselves. Maybe the writers now, themselves. Um, Cynthia Myers, yes, would have a handle on that. 
And I and, we have and, to call and, Cynthia too. Yeah, and I and I well, and I said, no, when you were sick, she said, well, I'm, I'm ready whenever Patricia's ready to come back. So I said, no. Okay. Uh, you know, earlier this year when you were under the weather, so she, she's ready to come back when when you're up up to doing it. I'm up to doing it. So whatever you're ready. When, I, you know, I really liked talking with that lady. She's so. Um, yeah, she was so good and had her hand just a handle on every aspect of marketing and the development of the shows themselves in the industry. So, yeah, she would surely know. Yeah, that's a great point. That's probably a good thing to uh, venture with, with Cynthia. Okay. Women ad writers. <laughs> because okay. I, I'm assuming the Lady Home Journals and and... Good housekeeping would have incorporated mm-hmm. female writers. I'm assuming sure. they did. Uh, well, I don't know. Red Book? Well, I'm assuming that was you know, dominated yeah. by female. I don't know. That is just one of the most interesting questions you have ever come up with, sir. <laughs> I just never, ever thought about that. My bet would be, and then I'll ask you for what your bet would be, my bet would be that Cynthia will say, no, it was male-dominated advertising writing. Well, she did talk to us about that, about the advertising agencies yes. who did the copy. So, and, and it was dominated by men, and that would have been my vote. So it makes you wonder, did they, miss, did they miss the boat? I don't know. They sold a lot of Johnson's Wax. True. True. I don't know. I, I think culture, at the time, the prevailing culture, probably had the most influence on what was pushed in what particular area and what was purchased. It would be interesting. Anybody have an idea about that? Please give us a call. It's interesting to think. If you break down Johnson's whack commercial writing, mm-hmm. it looked like they were on two things that they were saving time, mm-hmm. and how 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 good it looked afterwards. Exactly. Yes, and you can impress your husband, and you can impress your friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and save a lot of time by you know. Yes. Yes, and serve your husband. Lipton soup, or yeah, I don't think they had soup back then. I think Lipton soup was a relatively new product, okay. and the only the only form I know it in is in a package that you put in a bowl and pour hot water over it. So that probably wasn't around. But women had to. Well, uh, had Lipton tea and Lipton. Yes, soup, and so. Campbell's soup and yeah. everything. Make a good Campbell's soup dinner for your husband and your children. Mm-hmm. And, and and then basically, listen to the Campbell's Soup commercials of the '30s. It's almost like they're trying to introduce a new new style of living. Mm-hmm. And I think they were trying to break the, the the traditional way of making your own soup for your family. Yeah. And I think they were trying to really say this is the more convenient way of serving your family. You know. Mm-hmm. That's the impression I got. Yeah. Those. Hmm. Interesting. I really want other people's opinion about this, whether or not our, our female family members, how would they have responded? Do they think how they, they would have responded to a male promoter and a female promoter? If not, we'll have to, save the, we'll have to talk to a Saturday night family who used to 
to jumping in and be active. So, yeah. People who know us and love us. Yeah. Oh, I'm feeling left out. Oh, oh poor me. Yeah, poor yeah. me. Okay, well, I uh, go ahead. You got any more things you want to cover? You want to run up? You want to run upstairs and get ready for Saturday? <laughs> well, let me see what I have. Um, got Frank Sinatra and karaoke. I told you that one night. Uh, improvised. Let's see. Mm-mm. Okay, why was Frank Sinatra buried with a roll of dimes in his pocket? Ooh, I do not know that. I know. I know. Nancy Senior put bourbon. A bottle of bourbon in his breast really? pocket. <laughs> Did she really? Yeah. Oh, uh, you know, that's, that's. I do not know why he had dimes in his pockets. I have no idea. Well, he grew up in really tough circumstances, yeah. and of course, the the common perception or common rumor mm-hmm. is that he had ties with the mob. Right. But when you fight with someone, and this is street stuff, people with larger hands carry a roll of quarters. And people who just want a little bit of extra weight carry dimes so that when they punch, they're not breaking their fingers and they're making the punch three times as hard. Jeez. You get hit, yeah, you you get hit with a fist that has a roll of coins in it, you're going to go down. Whereas somebody hits you hard enough to make you go down has probably broken a couple of bones in his hands. Oh. So, that's why. I never thought of, I right. never thought about the money in your hands way to protect your balls. I never knew that. Uh-huh. Well Okay. Yeah. I mean you, you, you come from New Jersey. You come from the tough part of the country, so you, you, you Yeah, know. yeah, from New York. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> anyway. I have a couple of little let's see. Uh, and maybe we're doing this to our family tonight. Let me see here. Um, anyway, movies. you can drop, okay. issue, I drop Patricia's email over in a couple of days. Florida writer, F-L-O-R-I-D-A-W-R-I-T-E-R at hotmail.com. Please keep track of the weather and let us know. Oh, gosh, yes, that you're okay. Yeah. For, oh, my goodness. Yes, yes, yes. This is This is just a dreadful storm that's marching through, and it's covering such an enormous area. Yeah. Um, they had really sizable snowfall in North in South Carolina. We had snow in the Panhandle <clears throat> the day before yesterday, mm-hmm. and probably last night as well. So you know, up in the northern like right. Tallahassee area, they had quite a bit of snow. So I'm going to stay here and stay under my blankie <laughs> <laughs> and not ever go home. Uh... So. Okay, sure. Um, if you want to put on a show, sure. that would be great. All right, my do you dear. have one? Do you have one picked out? I do. Let me think. What did I? Pick? What? Oh, I because we played Ricky Nelson. A trip to Ricky Nelson last night. I thought. Oh, what cool. We, I thought what we should do tonight. The first thing we should start off with is the IC Harriet Christmas show from December nineteenth, nineteen forty-eight. So that would ever be so good. All right, my dear. Okay. All right, I will talk with you tomorrow. We'll be back on Saturday night, regular schedule. And whoever is out there with us and didn't call, thank you for being there. Now, my dear, tomorrow is Friday. You have tomorrow off. Oh, I have tomorrow off. Oh, my goodness, I am all messed up. The holidays just pooped my calendar. I know. So you have tomorrow off and Sunday off. 
So, uh-huh. So this Saturday for sure, we'll see what about next week. Okay, thank you. Right, Good night, dear. Walden. Good night, Patricia. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, there's Patricia. What's up, the Lord? Look after Patricia. Look after all our friends and family in the country. Help the men and women in the armed forces, Lord. Help the needy, the poor, and the hungry. We are to Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. Have you seen that Santa Claus that's downtown near the square? Oh, yeah, he's a jolly little guy, isn't he? Yesterday I walked by and said, Hiya, Santa Claus, what do you know? And he laughed and said, America's finest silver plate is 1847 Rogers Brothers. He's a good man to have on our side. America's finest silver plate is 1847 Rogers Brothers. From Hollywood, International Silver Company, creators of 1847 Rogers Brothers Silver Plate, presents The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, starring America's favorite young couple, Ozzie Nelson and Harriet Hilliard. Oh, you can certainly tell Christmas is coming. Some folks even have their trees trimmed already. And look there at 1847 where the Nelsons live. There's a wreath in the window. Say, can that music possibly be coming from the Nelsons' house? Of course, there they are, the whole family. Ozzie, Harriet, David, Ricky, and even Nick, the family dog, all gathered in front of the radio. Hmm, it's only 10.30 in the morning. What's music like that doing on the radio at this hour? Has just plain Bill changed his theme song? Oh, I see. They're listening to a record on the phonograph. That was really something to hear, wasn't it? Quite a record. Boy, those classical piano players sure can make a lot of noise, can't they, Pop? Now, that's not noise, David. That's fine music, expertly played. How can you tell the difference? Uh, I enjoyed it very much, dear. Well, thank you. I'm glad at least one member of the family appreciated it. Fine thing. We get a brand new radio phonograph combination and no enthusiasm whatsoever. When I was a boy... Are you going to lecture us, Pop? You always start out with when I was a boy. I do... Do I, Harriet? I'm afraid you do, dear. Fool them this time. Start out with when I was a girl. <laughs> The point I'm trying to make, boys, is when we get something like this radio phonograph, let's show a little interest in it. We're interested, Pop. I mean real interest. Like the enthusiasm you showed when we got the new car. When was that? Well, it was a little before your time, Ricky. <laughs> Go on outside and play, boys. You're upsetting your father. Come on, Ricky. What does it take to please those guys? Oh, I'm sure they like it, dear. Don't 
don't forget it isn't easy for little boys just to sit still and listen to classical music. I guess you're right. Sure is a beautiful machine, isn't it? I think it's wonderful, dear. It's the best Christmas present I've ever had. No, no, Harry. This is my Christmas present. Say, I have an idea. Why not call it our Christmas present to each other? Oh, no, Harry. I'd like to get you something personal. Oh, but honestly, dear, this is a wonderful Christmas present. Besides, it was my idea that we buy it in the first place. Of course, it would be a sensible thing to do. I must admit, it's a lot better than spending money on a bunch of silly junk that neither of us wants. That's exactly the way I feel. Okay, I'll tell you what. Let's take an oath. We'll make a binding agreement, a pact. I'll get my pen. I'll get a bottle of blood. <laughs> well, we can make it just a verbal agreement. I won't get you anything, and you won't get me anything. This radio phonograph is our gift to each other. Agreed? Agreed. If I do not keep this vow, what's something awful? Oh, if I do not keep this vow, may Harriet's cold feet be forever implanted in the small of my back, a faithless <laughs> Oh, that's corny. Now, don't mention the radio phonograph. I want to watch his face when he sees it. Well, I'd better go look after those dishes. Come on in, Thorny. Hi, Oz. Season's greetings. What's that in your hat band? Oh, mistletoe. This way I'm always standing under it. Anybody can take advantage of me and kiss me Well, don't look at me Aren't you going to invite me to sit down? Oh, sure, if you take off your hat Okay Oh, no, mistletoe tied in your hair well, Certainly Why be half safe? Notice anything unusual in the room, Thorny? No, I just can't say that I do Look, I'll stand over here and lean on this... Uh... Notice anything unusual? No, I'm afraid not. Huh? Okay, you go ahead and play innocent. I'm not going to mention it again. Uh, before I forget it, Oz, I did a little snooping around and found out what Catherine's getting me for Christmas. You'll never guess. Uh, a new radio phonograph? Don't be ridiculous. Who wants a radio phonograph? <laughs> she bought me a brand new genuine leather golf bag. Has everything. Separate loops for each club, zipper pocket for your sweater and shoes, even has a place to put your tea. What do you think of that? <laughs> What's wrong with a new radio phonograph? Oz, didn't you hear me? A beautiful golf bag with pockets and zippers. Genuine leather. Yes, it sounds okay. Okay is wonderful. It's what I've always wanted. Hey, careful, Oz. Don't lean too heavy on your new radio phonograph. Well, then you did notice it. <laughs> I saw the men bring it in. It, it's very nice, too. Oh, thanks, Tony. Your golf bag sounds awful good, too. Those zipper pockets. Those are really convenient. I'll bet this has a beautiful tone, Oz. Really a terrific-looking job. Too bad about this little nick in it here at the bottom. Oh? <laughs> didn't notice that. It must have happened when they brought it in. What a shame. It went right through the finish, didn't it? Because <laughs> if those golf bag zippers get stuck, they're allowed to tear out a handful of that artificial leather. <laughs> what do you think Harry is going to give you for Christmas, Oz? She's giving me the radio phonograph. Oh, that's a nice present. What are you going to give her? Uh, the same thing. <laughs> What do you want with two of them? We're giving this one to each other. It's our Christmas gift, and we're very happy about the whole thing. Very happy. All right, Oz. Stop glaring at me. We've decided to be sensible this year. We have something we both want, so why go out and buy a lot of silly junk? You're absolutely right. Well, see you later. What's your hurry? I want to go home and hunt around for some more silly junk that has my name on it. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Oz.
Mother. How are you? Pretty good, dear. I've just come from downtown. Finally finished all of my shopping. Just a moment. Just wanted to take my shoes off. You see her? A little. It's strange how small they're making size five these days. I hope you didn't tire yourself out. Oh, no. In fact, I feel quite gay. It's beginning to look like Christmas around here. You got your tree up yet? Mm-mm, not yet. I think Ozzy's going to get it tomorrow. Oh, a lot of them are already up on our block. You can see the lights. In fact, they're trimming one now in the house across the street. Oh, can you see it? No, but I can see the star go past the window every time it falls over. <laughs> Have you found out what Ozzy's getting you for Christmas? Oh, yes, we decided this morning. We're buying something for the house and giving it to each other. Oh, really, dear? What is it? It's a new radio phonograph. It's really beautiful, too. Oh, that sounds nice. Are you having it delivered on Christmas? No, it's already here. Well, Ozzy's going to give you something else, isn't he? No, Mother. We decided to be sensible this year. It's our one and only gift. Harriet, dear, there are two times when you're not supposed to be sensible. Finding a husband and Christmas. (laughs) We're really very happy about it, Mother. Well, for myself, I just love opening presents. Oh, this only includes Ozzy and me. We intend to get gifts for the boys and you. Oh, now, don't bother with me, dear. I'll be happy just knowing that you have a nice new radio phonograph. Oh, now, Mother, please. Really, dear, I don't mind. You can just call me on the phone and play some records for me. (laughs) But we want to get you something. No, Harriet, no. No. Well, only one gift, then. (laughs) Oh, I just can't understand why Ozzy's forcing this agreement on you. Well, he's not forcing it on me, Mother. We're forcing it on each... I mean, we think it's the sensible thing to do. Well, all right, dear. As long as you're happy, that's all that matters. You are happy, aren't you? Yes, Mother. Before I hang up, I want you to smile. I'm smiling, Mother. All right, dear. Putting a little furniture polish on this scratch. What scratch? Can't you see it? It's almost three inches long, right here at the bottom of the cabinet. Oh, yes. I wonder how that happened. Probably fell out of the truck. (laughs) Moving men were probably music haters. It's nothing, dear. You can hardly see it. It'll be all right after I get the polish rubbed in. I just spoke to Mother. She doesn't think too much of our agreement. I could tell by the way she talked. What did she say? Said she didn't think too much of our agreement. Here's it, Thorny. Catherine's giving him some silly old golf bag. I think we're being very sensible being sensible. So do I. The combination's a wonderful Christmas present. It certainly is. Mind you, dear, I'm not trying to back out, but it seems that this is more of a gift to me. Oh, nonsense. It's more of a gift to me. You know how I enjoy records. Thorny was so envious of my radio phonograph. All the time he was here, he talked of nothing else but his golf bag. Does that make sense? He was just trying to cover up his jealousy. You aren't envious of Thorny's new golf bag, are you? Well, of course not. Why should I be? I have a golf bag. Fine golf bag. That that, uh, canvas went out in the garage. That's not a very good one, is it? Well, of course it is. It's it's a little shabby and, and dirty, but it's plenty good. In fact, I always attract a lot of attention with it. It's the only golf bag I know of. You can put the clubs in the top and take them out of the bottom. 
I still think that our gift to each other is a very sensible and practical idea. Oh, of course it is. Come on, let's enjoy it. Put on a couple of records. Okay. Oh, here's one. It's very appropriate, too. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Uh, never mind. There's one right here on the machine. Yeah, this is very appro... Hmm. What's that one, dear? I got plenty of nothing. <laughs> You know, I bet there's not a family in the country that isn't doing the same thing Harriet and Ozzy are now, planning what's going to be under the tree on Christmas morning. You probably are yourself. And listen, Dad, if you'll send Mom out of the room for a minute, I've got a sensational idea for you and the kids, okay? All right, here it is. Why don't all of you get together and give Mom a set of 1847 Rogers Brothers? Sure, I told you it was a wonderful idea. 1847 Rogers Brothers is the finest silver plate in America, the very best, created by master craftsmen who have been leaders in their field for over 100 years. The lovely features of 1847 Rogers Brothers are unequaled. It stands alone, beautiful, incomparable. And isn't that just the kind of present you want from Mom? There's nothing that will make her feel more proud or happier than to know she owns the one and only 1847 Rogers Brothers. So, see your silverware dealer tomorrow, why don't you? He'll have some good news for you when it comes to the price of 1847. It hasn't gone up since 1945. Yes, this Christmas, give 1847 Rogers Brothers the finest silver plate in America. Ozzie Nelson has always been a practical man. In college, his perception, his ability to see the facts, made him a valuable quarterback. A good example was the Rutgers-Cornell game. It was the last quarter, and Rutgers was trailing 41 to nothing. They had the ball on their own 10-yard line, fourth down, 37 yards to go, one minute remained to play. Practical Ozzie sized up the situation in a flash. Calmly, he stepped into the huddle, turned to his teammates, and said, This is hopeless. Let's quit. <laughs> Not to be outdone by practical Ozzie is sensible Harriet, keen-minded and quick to make decisions. Together, practical Ozzie and sensible Harriet make a rather sensible and practical couple. They've even decided to have a sensible Christmas this year. Yes, sir, they've agreed that their new radio phonograph will be their gift to each other. In the living room of the Nelson home, practical Ozzie stands admiring the addition to the household. Don't you think this sort of overwhelms the rest of the furniture? I don't know, dear. I think we'll get used to it. Come in. Hello, Mr. Nelson. Oh, hello, Emmy Lou. How are you? David told me about your new combination, Mr. Nelson. I just had to come over and see it. Hello, Emmy Lou. Hello, Mrs. Nelson. Oh, it's beautiful. Do you really like it? Oh, yes. And aren't you lucky to have a husband like Mr. Nelson? There aren't many men who buy something like this so close to Christmas. But here, Mr. Nelson gets this lovely radio phonograph. And on Christmas morning, he'll surround it with all the beautiful presents he's bought you. What a wonderful husband. Well, actually, Emmy Lou... No, 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 no. Wait a minute, Emmy Lou, you don't understand. Yes, I do, Mr. Nelson. You're a man who knows how to keep romance alive. A man who tries to make each Christmas better than the one before. Yes, you've you got a point. You can be summed up in one word, Mr. Nelson. And that word is... Oh! No, 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 no,
deserve it. Oh, One, maybe, but... You do, Mr. No, Delphine! No, 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 Well, goodbye, Mr. Delphin. Fortunate luck. And goodbye, Mr. Nelson. Generous, big-hearted, bankrupt Mr. Nelson. <laughs> Such an emotional girl. I wonder if that could be a thyroid condition. What a mob. Why in the world does everybody have to wait till the last minute to do his Christmas shopping? Now, seeing all these silly things makes you realize how sensible we're being, doesn't it, Harriet? Harriet? Come on, dear, keep moving. Oh, oh I'm sorry, madam. I thought you were my wife. Fresh. Harriet? Harriet, where are you? I'm right behind you, dear. Oh. Oh, Ozzy, isn't that a beautiful nightgown? Where's that? That blue lace one over there on that dummy. It's not very practical, of course. Isn't it awfully thin? Thin? Yeah, the nightgown. Oh, not the dummy. The dummy... No, I mean, the nightgown is thin. Well, it's supposed to be thin. Isn't it a lovely shade of blue? Well, it's blue because you freeze to death in it. <laughs> I wonder what those dummies are made of. Hadn't we better be going, dear? We still have to pick up the tree, and I've got to get dinner. I'll be right with you. I just want to look at some of this sports equipment. Isn't it awful when you think of all the husbands and wives who are going to give each other silly, impractical gifts like these? That's a good-looking fishing pole, isn't it? Say, that's not bad. I bet you could pull in some big fish with that one. Well, well, sir, it's easy to tell that you're fish-minded. Oh, that's just my hair oil. I <laughs> you certainly know which is the best equipment. You are no doubt an expert. Oh, I, I've done a little fishing, yes. It is a beauty, isn't it? I, uh... I take it you're dropping a little hint as to what you'd like for Christmas, huh? No, we're being sensible this year. And there's nothing more sensible than this flexo-fly rod. Flexible yet unbreakable. <laughs> it's, it's a nice-looking rod, all right. <laughs> Look at the light in your husband's eyes, madam. Mm-hmm, I notice it. Of course, that might be left over from the negligee we were just looking at. <laughs> I'd know that look anywhere. That's the fly rod fisherman glaze. <laughs> Here, take it in your hand. Feel the new lightweight. Note the whip in it. Can't you just see yourself in some cool mountain stream on a warm summer day? Funny, I can almost feel the clear water lapping at my feet. Oh, I'm sorry. It's that darn drinking fountain that's been leaking all the time. <laughs> I think we better be going. Yeah, I, I guess you're right. Thank you very much for the demonstration. Oh, glad to do it. Anytime you want anything in the way of fishing equipment, just ask for me. That's my section. Uh, I'll do that. Uh, what's the name? Uh, Salmon. George Salmon. <laughs> We've got everything now, haven't we? Mm, uh, yes, uh, everything except the Christmas rod. Uh, the, the flexo... The, uh, the uh, Christmas tree. Ozzy, why don't you pick up the tree and I'll go home and fix dinner? What's the rush? It's only... Yeah, yeah, maybe that would be a good idea. I I'll see you back home. Okay, goodbye, dear. Goodbye. Goodbye. Shh. Shh. Mr. Salmon. Shh. Shh. Oh, that's you. For a second, I thought there was a leak in one of our basketballs. <laughs> How much is it? Uh, 
much is that fly rod my husband was looking at? Hey, Pop, the Thornberries have got their tree up already. Can we put ours up tonight? Please, Pop. Tonight? We always wait till Christmas Eve to decorate the tree. You guys don't want to spoil your Christmas Eve, do you? We won't spoil it, Pop. It'll be fun. Besides, if you decorate the tree tonight, you'll just want to do something else tomorrow night. We thought tomorrow night we could open our presents. Oh, fine. By the time Christmas gets here, you'll be celebrating New Year's. (laughs) Look, fellas, I'm sorry, but we're not going to decorate the tree tonight. Sure would be fun, boy. I, I know it would, Ricky, but we're not going to do it. Five days isn't too long to wait. I guess not. It's almost a week. That's not too long. It'd be fun tonight, yes, but it just spoiled Christmas Eve. Okay, Pop. Whatever you say, Pop. Do you boys know where the ornaments are? Sure, they're up in the attic. Well, don't break any bringing them down. We won't. Can we play some Christmas music on the new phonograph, Pop? Oh, no, no, definitely not. Now, that's where I draw the line. No Christmas music. Let's save something for Christmas Eve. What about I'm dreaming of a white Christmas? That's not really Christmas music because you're only dreaming of it. Yes, that's true. Okay, we'll play I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas, but that's all. Okay, Pa. Of course, Santa Claus is coming to town to be all right, too. You see, he's coming to town. He isn't here yet. Oh, boy. Gee, thanks, Pa. Come on, Pretty late, dear. Hadn't we better get to bed? Oh, let's wait till the fire dies out. Tree looks pretty, doesn't it? It'll look even better with the presents under it. That's when a tree is at its best, with the presents piled high. Of course, there won't be any for you this year. <laughs> from me, that is. Or for you, from me. Do you realize Christmas isn't until next Saturday and it's all over for us? That's the one drawback to being so darn sensible. You don't get anything. You'll get something from the boys. Oh, yes, yes, the the boys, that's right. I wonder what they bought me. What could they buy me with that measly allowance I get? (laughs) Times like this, I wish I wasn't such a cheapskate. Well, you aren't a cheapskate. And we have a lovely present. You mean that thing with the bottom half of the cabinet gouged out? (laughs) I think it needs adjusting or a new tube or something, too. It's got an awful tone. The bass keeps going boom, boom. I think it's a wonderful gift. Oh, so do I. But, I mean, if if you hadn't gotten it for me, I'd have been just as pleased with something less expensive. Like a, a, a flexo fly rod. Funny, I was just thinking that if you hadn't gotten me the radio phonograph... I'd have been quite happy with that blue lace nightgown. Actually, though, why do I need an expensive fly rod? Well, they're awfully nice to have. I know, but how many fish have I ever caught? One. (laughs) I didn't really catch that one. It was lying on the bottom of the stream, and I stepped on it. (laughs) Blue lace nightgown isn't very sensible either. Much too flimsy. I'd freeze in it. Oh, you could wear your flannel pajamas under it. 
We've been very sensible. Oh, very practical. Ozzie, would you rather have the fly rod than the radio phonograph and tell the truth? Oh, possibly so, but, but I'm not sorry about our agreement. You can get it for me on my birthday. Next to a, a fly rod, I, I'd rather have a, a radio phonograph. If I didn't get a, a new tennis racket or maybe a golf bag. With but you would like a fly rod. Well, I guess so, but it's so impractical. You could never wrap a present like that. It's too long. Oh, no, it's collapsible. And then you remove the reel and wind the line up. Oh, well, then you could probably... Harriet, you broke our agreement. You bought me the fly rod. Oh, no, dear. You didn't? <laughs> Not exactly. I'll tell you what happened. You know what a lovable, friendly dog Nick is. And you've been awfully good to him all year, and so he's going to give it a fishing rod for Christmas. Oh, where is it? In the linen closet under the blankets on the top shelf. There's another package in there, a big box with a red ribbon around it. Oh, well, that's a, uh, that's a polo shirt. Hmm, pretty fancy. Blue lace polo shirt. <laughs> How did you know it was blue lace? I accidentally punched a hole in the box with my nail file. <laughs> Now you've spoiled the surprise. You mean that beautiful nightgown was for me? Oh, but you promised... No, it wasn't from me. It was from the Thornberry's cat. <laughs> now, I think we're showing real strength of character, keeping our agreement like this. Gee, I wish you hadn't told me about Nick buying me the flyer. What a, a thoughtful dog he is. <laughs> Maybe we ought to give him the Thornberry's cat for Christmas. <laughs> Do you know, it, it sure would have been a surprise Christmas morning that fly So was my nightgown. Too bad you had to mention it. Mention it? Well, you jabbed a hole in the package with your nail file. I wasn't sure what it was, though. It was just a tiny hole. Oh, you'd have found out. Tomorrow you'd probably nick the box with your meat cleave. I wouldn't. <laughs> what time is it, dear? Uh, uh quarter to twelve. This watch band is getting pretty worn. <laughs> Millie had some nice-looking leather ones down at the Emporium. Well, you know, I've been pretty nice to the Dunkles Fox Terrier. <laughs> and now that you mention the Emporium, did you see those darling compacts at the jewelry counter? Wouldn't it be nice if those pigeons down at the City Hall should decide to get together and buy me one? <laughs> I have my fly rod and you have your nightgown. It'd be silly to want anything else. Oh, it'd be very impractical. It wouldn't be sensible. To keep happening over and over again. Are you sure you'd buy me a leather watch band? Then I'd discover how shabby my wallet is. They have beautiful wallets at the Emporium and very reasonable, too. You'd get me the compact and then I'd look at my tarnished old lipstick case and remember the beautiful ones they have at Schwab. <laughs> Do you know something, dear? I think this is going to be the nicest Christmas we've ever had. Uh, just one thing, though. Don't buy me too many expensive presents. I can't afford it this year. <laughs> you know, Harriet's right. This really is going to be the best Christmas she's ever had. Even better than she thinks. Because what Harriet doesn't know is that Ozzie made a secret trip down to Mr. Jonathan's silverware store the other day. And you know what he ordered? 
a beautiful, gleaming, wonderful, magnificent tea service in 1847 Rogers Brothers Remembrance Pattern. Isn't that right, Mr. Jonathan? Yep, that's it, Mr. Smith. We talked it over, Ozzie and I, and we decided it was just perfect. Harriet's got a set of 1847 Rogers Brothers for her table. I'm crazy about it, too, you know. Why, sure. What woman wouldn't be? 1847 Rogers Brothers is the finest silver plate in America. Yep. Well, so Ozzie and I thought the tea service was just perfect. He ordered it to match her 1847 pattern, and now he's all set. A wonderful idea for a present, you know. Yes, sir. And so are those other beautiful 1847 Rogers Brothers pieces. Vegetable dishes and platters and gravy sets. They're the pieces every woman dreams of seeing on her table. And each one is created with all the amazing skill that has made 1847 so famous. You know, Mr. Smith, when a woman's got anything made by 1847 Rogers Brothers on her table, she's really got something. That year mark, 1847, stands for quality, I'm telling you. Exceptional quality. Exquisite beauty. So, folks, make it a point to visit your silverware dealers tomorrow. See the stunning pieces created by 1847 Rogers Brothers and choose one for the best Christmas present of all. Yes, for a gift of importance, choose 1847 Rogers Brothers. <laughs> Now, this phonograph really has a beautiful tone. Remember the old ones that used to run down? I'll be down to get you in a taxi, honey. You better be ready about half past eight. Now, dearie, don't be late. I want to be there. <laughs> oh, I'd forgotten how we used to have to wind up those old phonographs. We'd crank and crank and crank and crank. I'll be down to get you in a taxi, honey. You better be ready about half past eight. <laughs> You wound me up too tight, honey. <laughs> well, sing a quick chorus before you break your spring. I'm going to dance off both my shoes when they play those jelly roll blues. Tomorrow night, tomorrow night, tomorrow night, tomorrow night, tomorrow night. Harriet, tomorrow night, tomorrow night, tomorrow night. Help, tomorrow oh, I'm night. sorry, dear. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Here, I'll put you on again. You better throw your. This is NBC, away. the national broadcasting company. Luxury I'm going to call our friend Beverly Washburn. It's been a while since Beverly and I have chatted. So, we're, we're playing phone tag with each other. So, so, let's play a Lux while I'm talking to her. Jaws Professional Desktop Folder View List View My Documents Twent Enter Documents 4C Christmas Show Enter Christmas Show 
L. Lama Dadbernem L. Lux Radio Theater Folder. Lux Radio Theater 400. Lux Radio Theater 4412. Lux Radio Theater 461. Lux Radio Theater 4703105. Lux Radio Theater 47122F596 Miracle on 34th Street. Unloading job. Cat. OK button. Enter. Christmas shows folders. Items view multi select list box. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, I wish I could be with you in person. Meanwhile, I know you're in capable hands with the cast of tonight's great screenplay, Miracle on 34th Street, from my home studio, 20th Century Fox. We are particularly gratified to have the original stars of the picture, Maureen O'Hara, John Payne, Edmund Gwynn, and Natalie Wood. Miracle on 34th Street takes up a question as old as the spirit of Christmas itself. Is there a Santa Claus? And answers that question very happily. As our curtain rises on Act One of Miracle on 34th Street, starring Maureen O'Hara as Doris Walker, John Payne as Fred Gailey, Edmund Gwen as Chris Kingle, and Natalie Wood as Susan Walker. <laughs> It's Thanksgiving Day in New York City. On Fifth Avenue, adjoining Central Park, an annual event is being joyfully awaited. The spectacular parade presented by Macy's Department Store to herald in the Christmas season. A little away from the crowd are two of Macy's public relations experts. He's simply wonderful, Mrs. Walker. Just look at him on that float. The most realistic Santa Claus we've ever had. Why, he didn't even need any padding, did he? Padding? Well, didn't you notice his tummy? So round, so firm, so fully packed. Well, now that everything's under control, where on earth did you find him? I don't know. I just turned around and there he was. I just think that the man whose place he took was was intoxicated. With a breath that would knock over a reindeer. Oh, what if Mr. Macy had seen him? What if Mr. Gimble had seen him? Competition between our stores is tough enough as it is. Well, the parade's starting. Let's stand at the curb. Not I, Mr. Shellhammer. I'm going home and relax. Anyway, I can see it from there. I live just around the corner. Oh, so you do. Well, see you tomorrow, Mrs. Walker. And congratulations on finding the best Santa Claus in Macy's history. Certainly is a wonderful parade, Susan. Just look at that clown. Gosh, what a giant. Giant, Mr. Gailey? There are no such things as giants. Well, not now, maybe, but in olden days. Really, Mr. Gailey? And you a lawyer. Well, what about the giant that Jack killed? You know, Jack and the Beanstalk? Everybody knows that's a fairy tale. And I agree with my mother. Fairy tales are silly. Come in. Good afternoon. I'm Susan's mother. My maid says... Hello, mother. I'm watching the parade. Mr. Gailey invited me. Hello, darling. Susie's told me quite a lot about you, Mrs. Walker. She told me quite a lot about you, too, the man in the front department. <laughs> this is all part of a plot, Mrs. Walker. 
I'm very fond of Susie, but uh, I also wanted to meet you. At least you're Frank. Don't even mention the name. Why not, Mother? That Santa Claus you see is a last-minute substitute. But why? Well, remember the way the janitor was last New Year's? Oh, my. Tight as an owl. I see Susie doesn't believe in Santa Claus either. That's right. She never has. That's the end of the parade. Mother, I've been thinking. It's Thanksgiving, and there are only two of us. Couldn't we invite Mr. Gailey? Well, I... Oh, please don't bother. I'll just have a sandwich or something. We have such a big turkey. Please, Mother, please. Well, well, I... Did I ask all right, Mr. Gailey? Susie, shh. You asked fine, Susan. Dinner's a three, Mr. Gailey. Yes, Mr. Shellhammer. Your maid said you were at Thanksgiving dinner, but I just had to tell you, your Santa Claus was stupendous. Well, thank you. Mr. Macy himself wants him to be our toy department Santa Claus. Fine. Can you hire him? Well, I already have. Oh, he's a born salesman. I just feel it. Good. We'll talk about it in the morning. Thanks for calling, Mr. Shellhammer. Mr. Shellhammer. Here's Santa Claus. Thank you, Alfred. Thank you. Good morning, Santa Claus. Good morning. Now, before you go to the toy department, here's a list of toys that we have to push. You know, things we're overstocked on. Now, you'll find that a great many children will be undecided as to what they want for Christmas. You immediately suggest one of these items. You understand? I certainly do. Fine. Now, Alfred here will show you to your throne in the toy department. And don't forget... Are you really Santa Claus? Why, of course I am. And what do you want for Christmas, little boy? I want a fire engine with a real hose. That's with real wet water. And I won't do it in the house. I'll only do it in the backyard. I promise. And I promise you'll get your fire engine. You see, Mama? I told you you'd get me one. That's fine. That's just dandy. You'll wait here, Mortimer. Mama wants to thank Santa Claus, too. Yes, madam? Then what's the matter with you? Now, now, what's the trouble? I told you before, didn't I? The kid wants a fire engine, but there isn't one to be had anywhere in town. Macy's ain't got any. Gimbal's ain't got any. Nobody's got any. My feet are killing me, and you say... Okay, he gets the fire engine. Mm, but you can get those fire engines at Schoenfeld's on Lexington Avenue. Only four fifty. Wonderful bargain. Mm. Hey, I, I don't get it. Well, I follow the toy market very closely. Macy sending people to other stores? Mm. Are you kidding? Well, the one important thing is to make the children happy, isn't it? Whether Macy's or somebody else sells the toy doesn't matter. Don't you feel that way? Who, me? Yeah. Uh, oh, yes, sure. Only I didn't know Macy's did. I don't get it. I just don't get Who's it. Who's next, please? Right this way. All right, little girl. You're next. Well, of course, little girl. You want some roller skates? Well, you shall have them, too. Oh, Mama, Mama. He's going to bring me some roller skates. Yes, he has some fine skates here at Macy's, haven't you, Santa Claus? Oh, they're good skates, all right, but not quite good enough. Now, I left some really wonderful roller skates at Gimbal. I'm sure Gimbal's have just what this good little girl wants. Mr. Shellhammer. Mr. Shellhammer. Gimbal's? That's just what he did say. Gimbal's. Uh, the sales lady said I should speak to you. Gimbal's. I just wanted to congratulate you and Macy's on this wonderful new stunt you're pulling. A big outfit like Macy's putting the spirit of Christmas ahead of the commercial. Well, from now on, I'm going to be a regular Macy customer. All right, Mortimer, we're going. Gimbal! There's the toy part, 
You certainly know all about Macy's store, don't you, Susie? Well, that's because my mother works here. But I still think it's silly, bringing me here to see Santa Claus. Well, I just felt that if you talked to him, maybe... Okay, the... Mr. Gailey. I'm certainly willing to try. Oh, well, what a fine young lady. And what's your name, little girl? Susan Walker. What's yours? Mine? Chris Kringle. I'm Santa Claus. Hmm. Oh, you don't believe that, eh? No. You see, my mother is Mrs. Walker. Oh. But I must say, you're the best-looking Santa Claus I've ever seen. Really? Your beard, for instance. It doesn't have one of those things that goes over your ears. Well, that's because it's real. Just like I'm really Santa Claus. Go ahead. Pull it. Well, my... my goodness. It is real. <laughs> now, what would you like me to bring you for Christmas? Nothing, thank you. Whatever I want, my mother will get for me. If it's sensible and doesn't cost too much, of course. That's quite right, Susan. Oh, hello, Mother. Hello, hello Mr. Gailey. The explanation for this is all very simple. Your maid's mother sprained her ankle. She had to go home. She asked me to bring Susie down to you. And as long as we were here, I figured we might as well say hello to Santa Claus. He has real whiskers, Mother. Susan, would you mind standing over there a minute? If you want me to. I shouldn't have brought Susan to see Santa, is that it? Oh, now you're making me feel completely heartless. I'm sorry. Don't you see? I tell Susan that Santa Claus is a myth. And you show her a very convincing old man with wheel whiskers. Whom is she to believe? Yeah, yeah, that's right, isn't it? When Susan was a baby, her father and I were divorced. Ever since then, I've protected my child by teaching her reality. If you don't believe in fairy tales and fantasy, you can never be hurt or disillusioned. We were talking about Susie, Mrs. Walker. And I must ask you to let me raise her as I see fit. All right, dear, we'll run along to my office now. Alfred said you want to see me, Mrs. Walker. Uh, oh, yes, yes. I, uh, I'd be grateful if you'd please tell Susan that you're not really Santa Claus, that there actually is no such person. But Mrs. Walker, not only is there such a person, but here I am to prove it. No, 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 you must understand. I want you to tell her the truth. Now, uh, what's your real name? Chris Kringle, and I always tell the truth. Susan, I'll bet you're in the first grade. Second grade. I mean your real name. That is my real name. My goodness, the second grade? Very well. I have your employment card right here. I'll look it up on that. That's a very cute dress, Susan. It's from Macy's. We get 10% off. Oh. So, you always tell the truth, do you? Look at your employment card. Name, Chris Kringle. Address, Brooks Memorial Home, Great Neck, Long Island. You may call the home if you care to confirm that, Mrs. Walker. It's a home for elderly gentlemen. Would you also like me to confirm this? What's that? Date of birth. As old as my tongue and a little bit older than my teeth. Place of birth, North Pole. Now, really. Why, I believe you would doubt me, Mrs. Walker. And this tops everything. Next of kin. Oh, that. Dasher, dancer, prancer, and vixen. <laughs> I'm sorry to have to do this, Mr. Kringle. Uh, but the, uh, the Santa Claus that we had two years ago is back in town, and I feel that we owe it to him to... What, uh, have I done something wrong? Uh, no, no, it's just that we feel... Oh, excuse me. Hello? This is Mr. Shellhammer, Mrs. Walker. Drop whatever you're doing. Mr. Macy wants to see us immediately. Oh, I'll be right up. Um, I'm afraid I'll have to be very abrupt with you. I have to see Mr. Macy. You'll be paid for the full week, Mr. Kringle, and I'll send your check to that address. 
Come right in, Mrs. Walker, Mr. Shellhammer. Thank you, Mr. Mason. Now, about this new policy you two initiated. Oh. Macy's Santa Claus sending customers to Gimble. I, I, I can explain everything, Mr. You don't Mason. have to explain a thing. Just look at my desk. 42 telegrams and over 500 phone calls. Grateful parents expressing undying gratitude to Macy's department store. You, you don't say. From now on, not only will our Santa Claus continue in this manner, but every salesperson in the entire store. You... You mean if we haven't got what the customer asked for, we're to... We're to send him where he can get it. No high pressuring, no forcing a customer to take something he doesn't really want. I, I think that's wonderful, Mr. Macy. We'll be known as the helpful store, the friendly store, the store that places public service ahead of profits. And uh, consequently, we'll make more profits than ever. As for you, Mrs. Walker and Mr. Shellhammer, you'll find a more practical expression of my gratitude in your Christmas envelope. Oh, thank you. And thank tell you. that wonderful Santa Claus I won't forget him either. Matter of fact, I'll tell him myself in the morning. Yes, indeed, Mr. Macy. Good night, good night. Good night, Mr. Macy. And thank you again, sir. Imagine a bonus. Yes. Well, what's the matter with you? Mr. Shellhammer, I, I just fired him. Uh, who? Santa Claus. Oh, no. No, you couldn't have. But I, I did. He's crazy, Mr. Shellhammer. He really thinks he is Santa Claus. I don't care if he thinks he's the Easter Bunny. Find him. Oh, no, no, no. In a moment, we'll continue with Miracle on 34th Street. Inauguration Day, 1829, a national hero, Andrew Jackson, was sworn in. A jostling, exuberant crowd followed him down Pennsylvania Avenue, sweeping through the White House gates into the mansion itself. The happy mob fought in an effort to get at the cake and ice cream. Many of the guests retreated through the windows, leaving their exhausted president backed up against a wall of the East Room. So continues the story of a house and its occupants, the White House. We continue with Act Two of Miracle on 34th Street, starring Maureen O'Hara as Doris Walker, John Payne as Fred Gailey, Edmund Gwen as Chris Kringle, and Natalie Wood as Susan. It was a frantic few hours that Doris spent last night rushing out to the Brooks Memorial Home in Long Island and assuring Chris Kringle that Macy's wanted him back as Santa Claus. So Chris is again presiding over the crowded toy department. While in her office, Doris and Mr. Shellhammer... Don't you understand, Mr. Shellhammer? That old man with the nice white whiskers insists that he is Santa Claus. He's out of his mind. What if he should have a... A fit or something? Oh, no, I've got to tell Mr. Macy. But maybe he's only a little crazy. Anyway, you can't be sure till he's examined. We'll send him to Mr. Sawyer. Sawyer? In personnel. He's paid to examine employees, isn't he? Now, by the way, what do you think of this? What is it? A full-page ad Macy's is running in tomorrow's newspapers. Macy's is running it? But it's all about the other stores, Gimbel's and Sachs. I know, I know. Mr. Macy's idea to help our customers find what they want. Revolting, isn't it? <laughs> that Santa Claus certainly has started something. Oh, well, I'll get hold of him in his lunch hour and I'll send him up to Mr. Sawyer. So I changed my clothes, Mr. Sawyer, and came right up. Oh, then that's your own beard, huh? Oh, yes. Uh, 
Interesting complex in back of that. Why do you carry a cane? Always carry a cane, Mr. Sawyer. Well, that is when I wear street clothes. I carved this cane out of a runner from one of my old sleighs. What's that? What's that? With a fine, solid silver top. Who was the first president of the United States? Oh, give me a difficult one. Like, uh... Like who was vice president under John Quincy Adams? I'm conducting this examination. The answer is Daniel D. Tompkins. Ah. Uh, You're a... You're a rather nervous man, aren't you? Well... Do you get enough sleep? My personal habits are no concern of yours. Now, what hand am I holding up? Right hand? How many fingers do you see? Three? Oh, dear, dear, dear. And you bite your nails, what? too. Oh, oh. <laughs> Stand up now. Feet together. Arms extended. Muscular coordination test. I've taken dozens of these tests. Mr. Sawyer, are you happy at home? That, that will be all, Mr. Kringle. The examination's over. Thank you. And it may interest you to know that I've been happily married, very happily, for 22 years. Very happily married. I'm delighted to hear it. Uh, Bye, Mr. Sawyer. Uh, Bye. Miss Prawn. Yes, sir. Get Mrs. Walker on the phone. Yes, sir. But your wife, Mr. Sawyer, she's called four times already. Tell my big fat wife to shut up my own business. Here's Mrs. Walker, sir. Uh, <clears throat> Hello? I was just going to call you, Mr. Sawyer. There's a Dr. Pierce stopping by this afternoon at three. Who's Dr. Pierce? He's the physician at the Brooks home. I thought we might discuss Mr. Kringle's case with him. Well, there's hardly any point in discussing it, Mrs. Walker. Obviously, the old man should be discharged. Dr. Pierce, Kringle should be dismissed immediately and sent to a mental institution. Oh, now, just a moment. But he's deluded, <laughs> saying that he's Santa Claus. Well, it's a delusion for good. I found he only wants to be friendly and helpful. No, his whole manner suggests aggressiveness. Well, look at the way he carries that cane. Well, Mrs. Walker, naturally, I can't discharge that loony. So when he exhibits his maniacal tendencies, please realize the responsibility is completely yours. Well, I'm right back where I started. Mrs. Walker, I assure you, Chris Kringle has no maniacal tendencies. But if there's the slightest possibility of his causing any trouble... Well, what trouble? All that need happen is that a policeman ask him his name. Chris Kringle, clang, clang, and Macy Santa Claus lands up in the psychopathic ward. Well, you can prevent that very simply. Uh, there must be someone here at the store who could rent him a room. Then they could both come to work together. I'd just as soon he avoided that long train ride to Long Island anyway. You mean sort of take custody of him? Yeah. Do you think Mr. Kringle would agree to that? Well, I'm sure he'll agree. Well, in that case... Now, let's see. Who do I know who could rent him a room? I'm glad you're going to have dinner with us, Mr. Kringle. Oh, thank you, Susan. I'm also very glad you're going to live next door with Mr. Gailey. Oh, why? Because you're nice to talk to. Oh, oh. what a fine young man that Mr. Gailey is, eh? Just think, allowing me to share his apartment, a mere stranger. Confidentially, he did it because Mother hinted to him. Oh, well, anyway, I'm very grateful. Shall I tell you what I did in school today? Yeah, by all means. Any games? Yes, and a very silly game, too. They played zoo, and each child was supposed to be an animal. <laughs> Susie, they were just pretending. Well, that's what makes the game so silly. Well, of course, in order to play games, you need imagination. Oh, that's when you see things, but they're not really there. Oh, yeah. yeah, but you know, to me, imagination is a place all by itself. Now, you've heard of the French nation, the British nation. Well, this is the imagination. 
A very interesting place, too. Now, how would you like to be able to make snowballs in the summertime, eh? Or, or be the Statue of Liberty in the morning, and in the afternoon, fly south with a flock of geese? Oh, I'm quite sure I'd like it, but... Oh, it's very simple. Now, look here, anyway, the next time they play zoo, you can be a monkey. But I don't know how to be a monkey. Don't you? Here, I'll show you. Now, first you bend over a little, like, uh, like this, see? Now, let your arms hang loose, see? Like this? Yeah, yeah, that's fine, fine. Now, put your hand over here and start scratching, see? That's excellent, Susan, excellent. That's as fine a bit of scratching as I've ever seen. Well, now, now start chattering. Chattering? Yes, chattering. Listen, now. See, I, I, I keep on scratching. Now then, we'll do it together, see? Chatter and scratch, and scratch and chatter. Huh? Well, that's fine, Susan, fine. You're doing beautifully. <laughs> <laughs> Susan. Susan. You still awake? Yes. I just come in to say good night. Susan. Now Christmas. There must be something you'd like for Christmas. Well, I've certainly thought about something, Mr. You Kringle. Have. What is it? Eh? Tell me. It's right here on the night table. Oh? See, I tore this page out of the magazine. It's a picture of a house. Oh, that's what you want, eh? A doll's house. Colonial architecture. Oh, no. Not a doll's house. A real house. A real house? Yes, and if you're really Santa Claus, you can get it for me. Oh, now, 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 now. Wait a minute, Susie. <laughs> what could you possibly do with a big house? Live in it with my mother. And I want a great big backyard with a great big tree to put a swing on and a garden and a... Oh, well. Why even discuss it? Hmm. Uh, Susie, could I, um... Could I keep this picture just, uh, Just in case? I guess so. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Mr. Gale is waiting for me. Good night, monkey. Good night, Mr. Kringle. <laughs> Take whichever bed you want, Mr. Kringle. Oh, you're very kind, really. <laughs> Tell me, Mr. Gailey, just what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a lawyer. Haslip, Haslip, Sherman, McKenzie. Oh. And you, uh, you like living here in the city? Well, it's convenient. But someday I'd like to get a place out on Long Island. Not a big house, just one of those junior partner deals around Manhasset. One of those little... Colonial house, is it? Yeah, yeah. A little colonial house would be swell. Hmm. You're, um... You're quite fond of Mrs. Walker, aren't you? Yeah. A lot of good it does me. She lives in a cast-iron shell that's a little difficult to penetrate. Oh, you must try harder, Mr. Gailey. Mrs. Walker and that child are a couple of lost souls, and it's up to us to help them. Oh, well... Shall I turn out the light? Oh, no, no, no. I'm not going to be cheated out of this. You know... All my life I've wondered about it, and now I'm going to find out. Does Santa Claus sleep with his whiskers inside or outside the covers? Oh, outside, of course. Outside, by all means. The cold makes them grow. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Oh, 
Come in, Mrs. Walker. Come in. Thank you, Mr. Macy. I've just heard something very exciting. You have? Well, let me tell you something very exciting. Our policy of being kind to customers has tripled our sales. Now, what do you think of that? That's wonderful, Mr. Macy. And Gimbel's thinks it's wonderful, too. Gimbel's? Gimbel's are adopting the same policy. Well, is that so? And it gives me an idea. As long as Gimbel's are doing the same thing, why not some pictures for the newspapers? Pictures? Yes, you and Mr. Gimbel shaking hands. Shaking hands? R.H. Macy and... and Gimbel? Well, well, yes. Hmm... Yes, why not? With Santa Claus, it's a great idea, Mrs. Walker. Macy and Gimbel, shaking hands. That's enough pictures, gentlemen. Thank you very much. Well, Mr. Gimbel, come on, R.H., I will go over to my store and get some really good pictures. <laughs> Just a minute. I have something here for Santa Claus. Here you are, Mr. Kringle, a check in appreciation of all you've done. Uh, Macy, why, that's most kind of you. I didn't think you were that generous, R.H. Well, that's quite a check. Uh, what are you going to do with it, Mr. Kringle? Well, I have a friend, uh, Dr. Pierce. He needs a new x-ray machine. Buy the machine through the store. A uh, 10% discount. Nonsense! Come over to Gimbel's and we'll furnish it at cost. Keep it up, gentlemen. Keep it up. <laughs> at this rate, my friend will have a whole new hospital. <laughs> <laughs> How did the pictures turn out, Mr. Kringle? Oh, fine, Alfred, fine. How about a game of checkers during lunch? No, not today, Chris. I, I don't feel so good. Huh? What's the matter, Alfred? Oh, nothing much. You remember I was telling you how I like to play Santa Claus over at the Y and mm -hmm. give out packages to the kids? Yeah. Well, I was telling Mr. Sawyer about it, and he says that's very bad, that psychologically it's all wrong. Wrong? To be nice to children? Well, he says guys who play Santa Claus do it because when they was young, they must have done something bad. Now they do something they think is good to make up for it, see? It's what he calls a guilt complex. Alfred... What else has he found wrong with you? Oh, nothing much. Just that I hate my father. I didn't know it, but he says I do. Excuse me. Hey, ain't you going to lunch? Later. Right now, I have an appointment with Mr. Sawyer. Uh, what do you mean, breaking into my office like this? Are you a licensed psychiatrist? What business is it of yours? I have great respect for psychiatry and great contempt for meddling amateurs who go around practicing it. Shut up. You ought to be horsewhipped. Taking a boy like Alfred and filling him up with complices and phobias. And... I think I'm better equipped to judge that than you. Just because Alfred wants to be kind to children, you tell him he has a guilt complex. Having the same delusion you couldn't possibly understand. And don't you wave that cane at me. Either you stop analyzing Alfred or I'll go straight to Mr. Macy and tell him what a contemptible fraud you are. Get out of here. Get out of here before I have you thrown out. There's only one way to handle a man like you. Well... Maybe this'll knock some sense into Oh, for help! Oh, oh, my head, my head! Oh, oh! Good day, Mr. Sawyer. Oh, Miss Prawn! Miss Prawn! Get me the police! Get me Mrs. Walker! Get me the psychopathic ward at Bellevue Hospital! You can see Mr. Crinkle now, Mr. Gailey. Thank you, nurse. Hello, Chris. Hello, Fred. Chris, I've been speaking to the doctors... They said they've given you some tests. Yeah, same old tests. Except this time you failed to pass them. Chris, you deliberately failed them. Why? Because I had great hopes, Fred. I had a feeling Mrs. Walker was beginning to believe in me. 
Now I discover she was only humoring me all the time. This wasn't Doris's idea at all. Mr. Sawyer had you sent here before she even knew about it. But why didn't she come to me and explain things? Because she didn't want to hurt you. Oh, it's not just Mrs. Walker, Fred. Now, take Mr. Sawyer. He's contemptible, dishonest, deceitful. Yet he's out there and I'm in here. Well, if that's normal, I don't want it. But you can't just think of yourself, Chris. What happens to you matters to a lot of other people. People like me who believe in what you stand for and people like... Well, like Susie, who are just beginning to. Chris, you're letting us down. No, oh, maybe you're right, Fred. You, you, of course you're right. I ought to be ashamed of myself. Let's get out of here. Now, wait a minute. You flunked your mental examination, but good. Oh, yes. Yes, so I did. So I... Yeah, well, you're a lawyer. You fix it. Hey, now, look, I... I won't let you down, and you won't let me down. Chris, take it easy, will you? Look, there'll have to be a hearing. If you're going to be committed, it's got to go before a judge. Well? Well, if I can do anything at all, it'll have to be in that courtroom. Now, sit tight, Chris. I'll get an idea. I'll have to get an idea. You, uh, uh, sent for me, Mr. Macy. I certainly did, Mr. Sawyer. I brought my family to the toy department to see our Santa Claus. And our Santa Claus isn't there. He's in Bellevue. Uh, yes, Mr. Macy. Because he's a lunatic. Yes, sir. Lunatic. Lunatic, my foot. You listen to me, Sawyer. You get that case dropped right away, you'll have another lump to match the one he gave you. But it's out of my hands. Mr. Kringle goes to court in the morning. Well, just see that he's back in the toy department by afternoon. Now get out of here. <laughs> Uh, Mr. Gailey. Yes? I've been looking all over for you. I'm uh, Mr. Sawyer. Oh, so you're Sawyer. Yes. I was just speaking to the court clerk, and he said you represent Mr. Kringle. Well, uh, I represent Mr. Macy. And I'll see you in court. Oh, well, that's what I wanted to speak to you about. Now, uh, Mr. Macy would like to drop the whole case right now. You see, we're most anxious to avoid uh, any uh, publicity. No publicity, huh? That's very interesting. Ah, then you'll, uh, you'll cooperate? You know something, Sawyer? You've just given me the idea I've been searching for. Oh, good, good. If I'm going to win this case, I'm going to have to have public opinion and plenty of it. And publicity's just the way to do it. Thanks, and so long, Sawyer. Mr. Gailey! But, but, but Mr. Gailey! Look at these newspapers, Chris. Here, Evening Dispatch. Doctors doubt sanity of Santa who launched goodwill campaign. Oh, my. Daily Bulletin. Macy's Santa Claus to have lunacy hearing. What's this one? New York Star. Is Chris Kringle crazy? Court case coming? Kitties cry <laughs> calamity? You've driven the United Nations clear back to page five. <laughs> Get a good night's sleep, Chris. We go before Judge Harper at ten tomorrow morning. Miracle on 34th Street in a moment. Have you ever given serious thought to what you will do after you retire from military service? There are other ways to serve your country. For example, do you realize that if you are 25 years old and have been a United States citizen for at least seven years, 
you have the basic qualifications for candidacy for a seat in the House of Representatives? But there's more to it than that. You must live in the state you are hoping to represent in Congress. You should have gained such a knowledge of current events that you can offer some logical answers to the many questions which will be put to you by the voters. Hope, too, that you are the kind of person who impresses both individuals and groups as a speaker with ability and sincerity. You'd also better hope that you can maintain a firm handshake and an honest-to-goodness smile. And when you've made your position clear on important issues, hope that enough voters go to the polls and remember where to place that X. Hope it happens, because if you are capable of all these things, the House could use a man like you. Now, here's Act Three of Miracle on 34th Street, starring Marina Hara as Doris Walker, John Payne as Fred Gailey, Edmund Gwen as Chris, and Natalie Wood as Susan. For a few weeks, a jolly elderly gentleman named Chris Kringle has been working minor miracles as the Santa Claus of Macy's department store. But now his sanity has been seriously questioned. And in a crowded courtroom, Judge Harper listens patiently as the assistant district attorney summons Chris to the witness stand. Now, this is not a trial, Mr. Kringle. It's just a hearing, so you don't have to answer any questions. Now then, where do you live, please? Well, it seems to me that's what this hearing will decide, won't you? <laughs> uh, Mr. Kringle, do you believe that you are Santa Claus? Of course I do. That's all, Your Honor. The state rests its case. Well, Mr. Gailey, Your Honor... Mr. Mara contends my client is not sane because he believes he is Santa Claus. An entirely logical conclusion. Anyone who thinks he's Santa Claus is crazy. Your Honor, you believe yourself to be Judge Harper. Yet no one questions your sanity because you are Judge Harper, do they? Mr. Kringle is the subject of this sanity hearing, not I. Very well, Your Honor. But I intend to prove that Mr. Kringle is Santa Claus. Mr. Mara, I thought you said this was a cut and dried sanity hearing. I thought it was, Your Honor. In the view of Mr. Gailey's statement, I'll have to review the entire background of this case. Court's adjourned till tomorrow morning. Hello, Taurus. I'm sorry I'm late, but get ready. We're really going to celebrate tonight. What are we celebrating? Well, didn't you read the papers? Santa's mouthpiece throws bombshell on New York Supreme Court. Fred, you're not really serious about this. You can't possibly prove that Chris is Santa Claus. Well, you saw Mr. Macy and Mr. Gimble shake hands. That wasn't possible either. And what does your firm have to say about it, Hayslip and McKenzie and, and the rest of them? That I've jeopardized their prestige, and either I drop this impossible case or they'll drop me. You see? So I beat them to it. I quit. Fred, you threw away your career because of a sentimental whim? Well, I'll open my own office. And what kind of clients will you get? Oh, Probably a lot of people like Chris who are being pushed around. You know, that's the only fun in law anyway. Doris, look, don't you have any faith at all in me? Oh, it's not a question of faith. It's common sense. But faith is believing in things when common sense tells you not to. It's not just Chris that's on trial. It's, it's everything he stands for. Human kindness and love. Fred, listen. We've seen a lot of each other the last couple of weeks. I, well, I, I've become very fond of you. We've talked about some wonderful plans, haven't we? And then you do this. You go on an idealistic binge, throw away your security, and you expect me to be happy about it. I expect too much, is that it? Well, that's that, I guess. Good night, Doris.
Yes, this is Mr. Mara. Well, can't it wait till tomorrow? I'm eating it. Who's been subpoenaed? Well, how do you think I feel about it? I'll see you tomorrow. Who's that, dear? R.H. Macy's been subpoenaed. Oh, my. Oh, those reporters. They make me look like a sadistic monster who likes nothing better than to drown pussycats and tear wings off of butterflies. Oh, you're quiet. Tommy's still awake. Oh, oh, yeah. It'd just break his heart if he knew what his daddy's doing. I'm doing my job as assistant district attorney. Well, I'm not so sure, but that I agree with him. Mr. Kringle looks like a very nice old man, and I don't see why you have to keep persecuting him. I'm not persecuting him. I'm prosecuting him. I like the old man, too, but there's nothing I can do about it. You know something, Thomas? Sometimes I wish I'd married a butcher or a plumber. Well, if I lose this case, it's very possible you'll get your wish. <laughs> R.H. Macy, and I wonder what he's going to pull tomorrow. Proceed with the witness, Mr. Gailey. Now then, Mr. Macy, if you recognize the defendant, please tell us who he is. Chris Kringle, of course. Do you believe him to be of sound mind? Sound mind? I wish I had a dozen like him. Mr. Macy, you're under oath. Do you believe that man is Santa Claus? Well, now, that's rather a delicate... Careful, uh... R.H. Just think of those headlines tomorrow. Macy admits his Santa Claus is fraud. You keep out of this, Kimball. What did you say? Uh, nothing, nothing, Mr. Mara. Uh, I wish you would. Is that man Santa Claus? Yes, in my opinion, he most certainly is. Your Honor, there is no such person as Santa Claus, and everybody knows it. Can you prove there isn't any? I won't even try. I'll not waste the court's time with such childish nonsense. Your Honor, the prosecution requests an immediate ruling from this court. Is there or is there not a Santa Claus? Well, now, I, uh... <laughs> the court will take a short recess to consider the question. Hello, Henry. Why, Charlie, what are you doing here? Well, can't an old friend visit you in your chambers? And if you ask me, you never needed a friend like you do now. This Kringle case? Well, I certainly don't see what they're making such a fuss about. Henry, that Santa Claus you got out there on trial for lunacy. This case is dynamite, and you're coming up for re-election soon. Charlie, you know what happened last night? Martha brought the grandchildren over. They... They wouldn't kiss Grandpa. <laughs> they wouldn't even talk to me. Yeah, you see what I mean? If you rule there is no Santa Claus, you better start looking for that chicken farm right now. I'm a responsible judge. How can I seriously rule that there is a Santa Claus? Because of what happens if you don't. The kids read about it, and they don't hang up their stockings. Now, what happens to all the toys that are supposed to be in those stockings? Nobody buys them. The toy manufacturers have to lay off employees. By now, you've got the AFL and the CIO against you. And they're going to say it with votes, eh? Oh, the department stores are going to love you, too. Yes, sir, Henry. And what about the Salvation Army? They've got a Santa Claus in every street corner, and they're taking a lot of money to help the poor. But go ahead, Henry. You go in there and rule there isn't any Santa Claus. But if you do, you can count on getting just two votes. Your own and that district attorney's out there. One vote, Charlie. He, he's a Republican. <laughs> oh, well, let's get this over with. The question of Santa Claus seems to be largely a matter of opinion. The tradition of American justice demands a broad and unprejudiced view of such a controversial matter. But, Your Honor... This court, therefore, intends to keep its mind open. 
We shall ask for evidence on either side. But the burden of proof clearly rests with my opponent. Can he produce any evidence to support his views? If Your Honor, please, I can. Will Thomas Mara please take the stand? Who? Me? No, Thomas Mara Jr. I believe he and his mother are both in court today. Hi, Papa. Hi. <laughs> Tommy, do you believe in Santa Claus? I sure do. He gave me a brand new sled last year. And uh, what does Santa Claus look like, Tommy? There he is, sitting right over there. Your Honor, I don't a rule. Tell me, Tommy, why are you so sure there's a Santa Claus? Because my papa told me so. Didn't you, papa? Thank you, Tommy. You can go back to your mother now. See you later, papa. You certainly will. Your Honor! Don't forget, Santa Claus. This year I want a football helmet. Now, don't worry, Tommy. You'll get it. Mr. Kringle, if you don't mind. I'm sorry, sir. Your Honor... The state of New York concedes the existence of a Santa Claus. But in so conceding, we demand that Mr. Gailey stop presenting personal opinion as evidence. I insist he submit authority to proof that Mr. Kringle here is the one and only Santa Claus. Well, Mr. Gailey, are you prepared to show that Mr. Kringle is Santa Claus on the basis of unprejudiced authority? Well, well, no, not now. I, I need a little time. Why not now? Tomorrow, Your Honor... Very well. Courts adjourned till tomorrow morning. Phew. Now come, Susan, dear. Finish your supper. But I can't, Mother. All those things they're saying in the newspapers about Mr. Kringle and Mr. Gailey. Susan, they're having this trial because he says he's Santa Claus. But he's so kind and nice and jolly. He's not like anyone else I know. He must be Santa. You know something? I think perhaps you're right. Is Mr. Kringle sad now, Mother? I'm afraid he must be. Then I'll write him a letter. Maybe that'll make him feel better. I'll cheer him up and I'll tell him I'm leaving. Postman, postman. Yeah, lady? Oh, would you mind taking this letter? Oh, sure, lady. We're going straight down to the post office now. Okay, Louie, take it away. Uh, what do you know, Louie? Another letter for Santa Claus. Hey, here's a new one. Instead of North Pole, this kid's got it addressed to Chris Kringle, New York County Courthouse. Well, the kid's right. Huh? Oh, yeah, sure. They got him on trial down there. <laughs> He claims he's Santa Claus, and the DA claims he's nuts. Hey, hey, Frankie, I got an idea. Yeah? How many Santa Claus letters do you think we got down there in the dead letter office? Oh, who knows? Must be 50,000. Bags and bags all over the joint. You, you mean but Frankie? Why not? Wouldn't it be nice to get rid of them all? Wouldn't it? Boy, oh, boy. Look, Louie, as soon as we get to the post office, we go see the supervisor. You know something? I bet we both get promoted! And since the defense has been unable to submit one shred of proof that Kris Kringle is the one and only Santa Claus, and since tonight is Christmas Eve, I ask, Your Honor, that this hearing be terminated without further delay. I protest, Your Honor, I do have evidence. Five minutes ago, you said you didn't. During Mr. Mara's oration, the bailiff handed my client the evidence I refer to. What evidence? This letter, Your Honor. Yes, Mr. Kringle? It's from Susan Walker. She believes in me. This letter means more to me than... Oh, 
anything in the world. That letter, Your Honor, was delivered by the United States Post Office, an official agency of the federal government. The Post Office Department is one of the largest business concerns in the world. Last year, it did a gross volume of over $1 billion. And Your Honor, I'm sure we're all gratified that the Post Office is getting along so well. But what bearing has it on the sanity of that man? My point is that the Post Office Department is a model of efficiency. Furthermore, the laws of this country make it a criminal offense to willfully misdirect mail or intentionally deliver it to the wrong party. The state of New York is second to none in its admiration of the Post Office Department. We're very happy to concede Mr. Gailey's claims. For the record, Mr. Mara? For the record. Anything to get on with this case. Thank you. Your Honor... That letter just received by Mr. Kringle is positive proof that a... One letter is hardly positive proof. I have further exhibits, Your Honor, but I hesitate to produce them. Come, come, Mr. Gailey. Put them here on my desk. But, Your Honor, I said put them on my desk. All right, boys, bring them in. Put them right there. Your Honor, what, what is this? Empty those mail sacks on Judge Harper's desk. But we got six truckloads out there. Bring them in. I'll be fined for contempt of court. No, just a second, dear. Oh, we'll do it, Your Honor. We'll do it. True rain, true sleet, true courtrooms, anything. We deliver. Mr. Gailey. Your Honor, every one of those letters and every one of those mail sacks is addressed to Santa Claus. The post office department has delivered them. Therefore, the post office department recognizes Chris Kringle to be the one and only Santa Claus. Since the United States government declares this man to be Santa Claus, this court will not dispute it. Case dismissed. And for heaven's sake, get this mail out of my courtroom. So as soon as I got out of court, I came straight to Mesa to see you, Doris. Oh, Chris, I'm so glad you won. Well, we're having a big Christmas party at the Brooks' home tomorrow morning. I'd like so much to see you and Susie there. We'll be there, Chris. Oh, couldn't you... Couldn't you just come home now and have dinner with us? Now? Tonight? Me? My goodness, Doris, it's Christmas Eve. Alfred, look. Look who came all the way out here to the home just for our Christmas party. Chris, it's... It's Mr. Macy. Mr. Gimble, too. Oh, excuse me, Alfred. Mrs. Walker and Susie have to leave now, and I don't want to go without my shoes. But Susie, darling, you've got so many presents. That's the one I wanted. That's the one Mr. Kringle was going to get for me. Well, what was it? It doesn't matter. I knew I wouldn't get it, but I thought he'd at least tell me why. Susie! Susie, I'm I'm sorry, Susie. I tried my best, You couldn't get it because you're not Santa Claus. Susan! Just a nice old man, like Mother said. But I was wrong when I told you that. You must believe in Mr. Kringle and keep right on doing it. You must have faith in him. But that doesn't make sense, Mother. Faith is believing in things when common sense tells you not to. Huh? I mean, just because things don't turn out the way you want them to the first time, you've still got to believe in people. I found that Hello, Doris. Oh, Fred. Mr. Gailey. Oh, Mr. Gailey. Merry Christmas, Susie. Gosh, you just got here and we're just ready to leave. Oh, I've been here, and if you're ready to leave, I'll, I'll drive you home. Well, be, before you go, here, here's a map I've made for you. Now, you'll miss a lot of traffic. About four miles south, you'll see Ashley Avenue. That's the street you want, Ashley Avenue. Thanks, Chris, and a Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you, Fred, and to you, my dear, and to you, Susie. I believe, Mr. Kringle. I do. It's silly, I suppose. But I believe. 
I don't understand it, Fred. The map Chris gave us definitely says Ashley Avenue. We've been on Ashley Avenue stop now. Stop the car! Oh, stop the car, please! Susie, what is it, darling? What's the matter? There it is, the house! The house! Susie, what, what in the, the world? She's running into that house. At least there's no one home. It's, it's brand new. It's just been built. Yeah, for sale, it says. For sale. What on earth is that child up to? Susie! Hey, Susie! Come right down. You know you shouldn't round, run around in other people's houses. That's strange. Yeah, I'll say. No, no, I, I mean this house. I've seen this house somewhere. I know I have. Maybe in a magazine. Well, that's or... our house. It's the one I asked him for, Mr. Kringle. Mr. Kringle? I know it is. Oh, you were right, Mommy. You were right. Susie. Mommy told me things didn't turn out just the way he wanted them to at first. You've still got to believe... And I kept believing in you were right, Mommy. Mr. Kringle is Santa Claus. Now where are you going? In back to see if there's a swing. Oh, there is one. There is one. You told her that about... about believing? <laughs> well, you told me, Fred. <laughs> Sign outside. For sale, huh? Well, we can't let her down, can we? I never really doubted you. It was just my silly common sense. <laughs> It even makes sense to believe in me now. I must be a pretty good lawyer. I'd take a little old man and legally prove to the world that he's Santa Claus. Now, you know that couldn't... Fred. What's the matter? There in the corner by the fireplace. Oh, no. No. It can't be. It, it couldn't. A cane. Chris's cane. Why, there couldn't be two canes like that anywhere in the world. Silver handle and all. Hey, you know something? Maybe I didn't do such a wonderful thing after all. Our stars will return for their curtain calls in a moment. Men, we're offering you an opportunity to study the various operations and applications of the Mannheim slide rule. Well... Perhaps this offer wouldn't appeal to the average clerk, journalist, or administrative specialist. But to the man engaged in technical or scientific work, it would mean something. If he were not already familiar with the Mannheim slide rule, he would be interested. He'd want to know how he could take advantage of the offer. He'd know that a working knowledge of the slide rule would be of considerable help to him in his job. He'd learn that the person to see is his education officer who would tell him that the course and the application of the Mannheim-type slide rule is offered by Yusafi. He'd fill out an application to enroll in the course and take the first step toward power through knowledge with Yusafi. Yes, he'd do that, if he were smart. Now, here's Mr. Keeley with our stars. For a most delightful holiday performance, all our thanks to Maureen O'Hara, John Payne, Edmund Gwen, and Natalie Wood, who return to the spotlight for a curtain call. From Washington to Hollywood and points between, you've helped to put us in the mood for Christmas. Thanks, Bill. But we missed you at tonight's performance. As I miss being there, believe me. But here in Washington, Edmund Gwen sounded just as convincing as Santa Claus as he must have on your stage in Hollywood. Oh, Bill, I wonder how many people knew that Teddy Gwen really was Macy's Santa Claus in their holiday parade. Is that right, Mr. Gwen? Yes, that's right, Natalie. 
In fact, I've been Santa Claus so much, I'm beginning to really believe in myself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't wonder, Teddy. I'm certainly going to leave the latch key in the mailbox for you Christmas Eve. No, no, just put a windsock in the chimney, Bill. You really plan to make the rounds on Christmas Eve, eh, Teddy? Well, you can't let millions of children down. You know, Mr. Gwen, you sound as if you did believe in Santa Claus. He's right, too. Didn't I just prove it? Well, why don't we leave it to the radio theater audience? Yes. How about it, folks? Do you believe in Santa Claus? Yes! <laughs> well, that ought to reassure the children in the audience tonight. <laughs> Congratulations. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Merry Christmas to all four. Once again, the world looks forward to another Christmas. It would be idle to say that peace reigns everywhere on Earth, that men confront the future with untroubled hearts. But this much we can say, that for one day, the world is brought together by the worship of the Prince of Peace. And if that spirit can burn so brightly for a single day, we have cause to hope that it may someday shine forever in men's hearts. May I wish all of you the happiest of holidays. This is the American Forces Radio and Television Service. All right, Lux Radio Theater from 1947. Just got off the phone a little while ago with Beverly, so glad to catch up with her on 2018. Third tonight, January 4th, we're 2018. I'm Walton Hughes, and we're still celebrating Christmas, so let's see what else we're going to come up and play with. Next tune, Yesterday, USA. Professional Christmas Show, Items View, Lux Radio Theater 49121, Nuts, and 20 Questions, Truth or Co- Theater Guild, Stars in the Air 5112131, It's a Wonderful Life, Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed, Songs by Sinatra, Screen Directors Playhouse 50, Screen, Screen, Saint 5Z, Rogers of the Gaz, Roger,
Railroad Hour, Radio Readers Digest, Radio Sit, Quiz Kids, Fo- Phil Air, Sal, Phil Air, 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 Ozzy and Harriet for Ozzy, One Man's Family 471221B064, Not Select, 20, Truther, Theater, Stars in It, Songs, by Stars in the Air, 51, Unloaded, Jaw, Can, OK, but Enter, Christmas Shows, Folders, Items, View, Multi, Select, List, Hollywood's greatest stars in Hollywood's greatest motion pictures. From the glamorous movie capital of the world, we bring you Stars in the Air. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We've got a couple of questions for you. Do you like to laugh? Like a touch of romance? Like a bit of sentiment now and then? Well, great. Come on in. You'll find them all in this sparkling new series of half-hour shows transcribed straight from the heart of Hollywood. That's right, the heart of Hollywood. Because all Hollywood is contributing its time and talent to make this the brightest spot on your dial. Typical is our very first play, a tender prelude to the Christmas season, the famous inspirational hit, It's a Wonderful Life. Starring James Stewart and Donna Reed with Joseph Granby and Junius Matthews. It's Christmas Eve just a few years ago. It's Christmas Eve, and in the little town of Bedford Falls, people are celebrating the joyous season. Please, God, help George Bailey. But through the gaiety, another sound is heard. A very sober sound. A sound of people praying. Prayers born of desperation and love, rising toward heaven in agonized hope. Rising higher and higher above the earth, above the falling snow, above the clouds, and finally, as they reach the stars. Clarence? Yes, sir? You want me, sir? Yes. Seems to be some trouble in Bedford Falls. A lot of people asking us to help George Bailey. Splendid, sir. Is he sick? No, worse. He's discouraged. At exactly 10.45, Earth time... He'll be thinking seriously of throwing away God's greatest gift. Oh, dear, dear, his life. Then I've only half an hour to dress. Clarence, you will spend this next half hour getting acquainted with George Bailey. Yes, sir. And, sir, if I should accomplish this mission, I mean, well, might I perhaps win my wings? I've been waiting over 200 years now. People are beginning to talk. Well, you do a good job with George Bailey, and you'll get your wings. Now then, let's have a look at Bedford Falls. Can you see it, Clarence? Well, now that you mention it... Oh, this is amazing. See the drugstore down there? That's George Bailey jerking sodas. He's your problem, Clarence. A boy? Oh, that's when he was 12. Back in 1919. And that little girl at the soda fountain, that's Mary Hatch. She's nine years old, 
And she's in love with George. In love, sir? That's what she's telling him. She's saying, I love you, George Bailey. I'll always love you. I love you till the day I die. My goodness, at her age? Uh, things have certainly changed since my day. What does George say to that? Nothing. He doesn't even know she's in love. But, sir, she just told him. Yes, but she made sure she was talking to George's bad ear. Bad ear, sir? How did that happen? Oh, he caught a cold when he went through the ice. He fell through the ice? No, he jumped through to save his kid brother, Harry. But, sir, all that was when he was a boy. How did he grow up? Now, Clarence, I'm glad you asked me that. George grew up fine, saving his money, working afternoons, pinching and scraping, with just one idea. Someday he was going to travel. Someday he was going to college. But what about the girl, sir? Did she stay in love? Did they get married? Did no, no, they... no, no, one thing at a time. Let's have a look. See her down there? Is that Mary Hatch? Well, she's all grown up. Yes, and so is George. And they just met at a dance. And now they're walking home. Buffalo gals, won't you come out tonight and dance by the light of the moon? Hot dog, hot dog, just like an organ. Hmm? Beautiful. Well, I haven't enjoyed singing like that since I, since I, uh... Hey, how old are you? Eighteen. Eighteen? Gee, just think, only last year you were seventeen. Too young or too old? Oh, no, 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 you're just right. Your age fits you. you anybody ask me, I'd say... I'd, what? I'd, hey, hey, look, look, look at the old Granville house. Let's throw a rock. Oh, no, I love that old place. Oh, no, you see, you make a wish and then try and break some glass. You've got to be a pretty good shot nowadays, too. There's been lots of wishes made on that old house. Now, now, look, right up there on the second floor, you see? Look. Hot dog. What'd you wish, George? Oh, it's not just one wish. It's a whole hatful, Mary. I know what I'm going to do tomorrow and the next day and next year and the year after that. I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet, and I'm going to see the world. Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. Then I'm coming back and going to college to see what they know. And then... Then I'm going to build things. I'm going to build airfields. I'm going to build skyscrapers a hundred stories high. I'm going to build bridges a mile long. I'm going to build... I, I, hey, what, what... Hey, you got a rock. You going to throw it too, Mary? Uh... Huh. Hot dog. Hey. Hey, that's pretty good. What'd you wish? Oh, I, I couldn't tell you that. Oh, well, no, why not? Come on. Oh, but if I told you, it, it might not come true. Oh, wh what is it you want, Mary? What do you want? Well, you want the moon? You want the moon? Just say the word. I'll throw a lasso around it and bring it right down to you. And then, and then, you know, you could swallow it. And it would all dissolve, see? And the moonbeams would shoot out of your fingers and your toes and the ends of your hair. And... Uh, uh, am I talking too much? If you ask me, yes. <laughs> Old man Collins on his porch. Oh. Why don't you kiss her instead of talking her to death? How's that? I said, why don't you kiss her instead of talking her to death? Oh, you, you want me to kiss her, huh? Yeah. Okay, okay, mister. I'll show you some kissing that'll put hair back on your head. I'll show you some kissing that'll make you Bert. wish that... 
Hey, George. Uncle Billy, what? Oh, I'm glad I found you, George. You better come right home. Well, what's the matter? Anything wrong? Uh, the doctor's there now. Your father's had a stroke. Naturally, Clarence, you can understand that was a pretty bad blow for George. Oh, I'm sure it was, sir. Uh, but did he get away? Well, he had to give up his trip to Europe. There were so many things to be taken care of. But he did go to college. Well, he went right ahead with that plan, all right. In fact, he's leaving now, on his way to the station. Well, see him down there? Yes, sir. I can see him, sir, but he doesn't look like he's going anywhere. He, he, he seems to be in a meeting or something. Yes, the building alone. He stopped off on his way. That's the board of directors, you see. They're deciding what to do with the company. Listen, that's old man Potter talking. In my opinion, there's only one thing to do. Dissolve this institution and liquidate its assets. This town doesn't need a building and loan. We got a bank that can handle that sort of thing. Your bank, Mr. Potter. Well, suppose it is mine. What's that got to do with it? Oh, it's quite a lot, I think. I remember Pop used to say... If that... you'll excuse me, young man, and meaning no disrespect to the dead, your father was not a businessman. Well, Peter Bailey was a man of high ideals, so-called, but I say that ideals without common sense can ruin this town. And furthermore, Now, just I a want... minute. Now, just hold on. Just a minute, Mr. Potter. Now, you're right when you say my father was no businessman. I know that. Why he ever started this cheap penny ante building and loan, I'll never know. But when you talk about ruining this town, that's another thing. Well, Maybe he didn't save enough money to send Harry to college, let alone me. But he did help a few people build their own homes and get them out of your slums, Mr. Potter. Now, what's wrong with that? Why, I... Those people, the ones my father was trying to help, they do most of the working and the paying and the living and the dying in this community. Well, is it too much to have them work and pay and live and die in a couple of decent rooms and a bath? Well, anyway, my father didn't think so. People were human beings to him. And in my book, Mr. Potter, he died a much richer man than you'll ever be. I quite agree. Well, I, I quite agree with well I, I'm sorry, gentlemen. You're, you're the board here. You do what you want to. There's just one thing more, though. This town needs this measly one-horse institution, if only to have some place where people can come without crawling to Potter. Mr. Chairman, I call for a vote on my motion. Come on, Uncle Billy. Let's get out of here. Boy, oh, boy. That was telling him, George. You sure shut his big mouth. Yeah, I wonder. I'll write you all about it, George. Uh, you'll have to hurry to make that train. Yeah. Gee, I sure wish I knew how they were voting in there. Come on, boy. Come on. Step on it, will you? You gave up your trip to Europe. Now, you don't want to miss college, too, do you? I should say not. No, sir. Nobody's going to keep me from going. Wait, George. Well, Mr. Camel, what is it? voted Potter down. Whoopee! There's only one condition, George. Condition what? They say they'll keep it going if... If what? If you'll stay and take your father's place. Well, Clarence, I suppose you can guess what George's decision was. Yes, sir, I can guess. He didn't go. Not only that, he took the money he'd saved and sent his brother Harry to college. But, sir, what happened to George? Oh, George stayed home and ran the building alone and dreamed about the day when he could go on that round-the-world trip. And sometimes on summer evenings, he'd take a walk. I can see him, sir. He's walking now. Yes. It happens he's found himself in front of Mary's house. She just got back from college this week. But back and forth, back and forth. Why is he doing that, sir? <laughs> That's what Mary's wondering. Listen. George, what are you doing? Picketing? Huh? Oh. Oh, hello, Mary. 
No, I, I, I just, uh, just happened to be passing by. So I noticed. Have you made up your mind? How's that? Have you made up your mind? Made up my mind? What about? About coming in. Your mother phoned and said you were on the way over. What? My mother, my mother told you that? Why, I just went for a walk. I just happened to be passing by and I... George, are you coming in or aren't you? Well, I'll come in for a minute, but don't get the idea that I, I mean, she had no right to call you, you know, my... Mary! Mary! I'm down here, Mother. How do you like that? A fellow just starts out for a walk, all of a sudden... George, as long on. as you're here, you may as well talk to me. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Would you like to sit down? Well, just for a minute. Thanks for small favors. Would you rather leave? Oh, no, no, no. I wouldn't want to be rude. <laughs> Mary, who's that down there with you? It's George Bailey, Mother. George Bailey? What's he want? I don't know. What do you want, George? <laughs> what do I want? Me? No, uh, nothing. I just came in to get warm. <laughs> Mother, he's making violent love to me. What? Well, you tell him to go right back home and don't you dare leave the house. Sam Wainwright's calling you from New York tonight. Now, look here. Your mother needn't think that I... Just because Sam's father's a big shot, you, you know, I didn't come here to... What did you come for? I don't know. You tell me. You're supposed to be the one that has all the answers. You tell me. All right. Maybe I will. You came here so I could tell you about Sam Wainwright, what he's going to do for you. For me? He says you gave him the idea of making plastics out of soybeans, and his father started a company, and they're going into it big, and... and and he wants you to work for him and buy some stock and get in on the ground floor and... Now, now you listen to me. Now, you listen to me. I don't want any plastics. I don't want any ground floors. I don't want to work for Sam. Do you understand that? I don't want to work for Sam. I want to do what I want to do. And, and you're not... You're... Oh, Mary. Mary. George. 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 Mary. Mary, what's going on down here? I... Mary! Oh. <laughs> Mary. Yes, George? Don't you think maybe we ought to pick your mother up? <laughs> You know what happened, Clarence. Uh, I mean, after he kissed her. I'll wager he didn't go on that trip, sir. No, no. He and Mary settled down and raised a family. Children, sir? Oh, good for them. Yes, very good. Two boys and a girl. Three children? Why, these days, that's par. <laughs> I, I, I suppose that George was happy, sir. Oh, he was working too hard to think about it. You see, the building and loan was developing a new subdivision, a place called Bailey Park, where low-income families could buy their own homes. Putting quite a dent in Mr. Potter, too, until the war. Yes, yes. The Baileys made quite a name for themselves in the war. George? Harry, Navy flyer, shot down 15 enemy planes, two of them as they were about to crash into a transport full of soldiers. Yes, but George... George... Or a bad ear, you know. <laughs> but he certainly heard good news this morning. This morning, sir? Harry just won the Congressional Medal of Honor. This morning? 
Why, it's been years since the war ended. Well, you know Congress. A little slow sometimes. <laughs> Must have been quite a day for the Baileys, though. Yes, if only Uncle Billy hadn't lost the deposit. Deposit, sir? A whole month's collection for the building and loan. $8,000. Poor Uncle Billy was very excited at the news about Harry. And when he got to the bank, the money was gone. Oh, dear, dear. What did George say? Well, let's see now. It's this afternoon, December 24th, 2.20 p.m. Look sharp, and you'll see them down there. That's not too much The office of the building and loan. I'm not asking any miracle. Just remember, that's all. Did you put the envelope in your pocket? Yeah, yeah, maybe. Maybe, maybe. I don't want any maybe. Uncle Billy, we got to find that money. I'm no good to you, George. I've never been any good to now you. Now, listen to me. Now, listen. Do you have any secret hiding place at home? Someplace you might have put it. Someplace you can put money. I've gone over the whole house, even the rooms that have been locked since I lost your Aunt Laura. Listen. Listen to me. Listen to me. Now, think. Think. I can't think anymore. I can't think. I can't. Now, where's that money, you silly, stupid old fool? Where's that money? Do you realize what this means? It means bankruptcy and scandal and prison. That's what it means. It means somebody's got to go to jail. Well, let me tell you one thing. It's not going to be me. And that, Clarence... Brings us almost up to date. But uh, where did George go, sir? Oh, he just drove around town. He scarcely knew where he was going himself until... Oh, Clarence, what time is it down there now? Earth time, sir. Exactly 10.44. Oh. Then he's standing on the bridge, looking down at the river. You'd better hurry, Clarence. You've only one minute. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, I'm on my way. Oh, God. God, dear Father in heaven. I'm not a praying man, but, but if you're up there and can hear me, you, you'll understand. I, I'm at the end of my rope. I, there's nothing else I can do, so you, you'll just have to forgive me. If I... If I... Help! Help! Hey, what's I'm that? drowning! Help! What's going on, Aaron? Well, hold it, mister, hold it. Hold it, I'm coming, I'm coming. You just hang your clothes right over the stove there. They'll dry out in a while. You know, I had... I, I... What's the matter? What are you staring at? Well, is that underwear of yours? I've never seen underwear quite like that before. <laughs> Well, I didn't have time to get anything stylish. My wife gave me this on my last birthday. I passed away in it. Oh, I see. You, you passed away. Hmm? Hey, tell me, uh, how did you happen to fall in the river? Oh, I didn't fall in. I jumped in to save you. To save me? Yeah, of course. You know, suicide is forbidden where I come from. And where is that? Heaven. Now, let's cut this out, huh? Will you cut this out? I had to act quickly. That's why I jumped in. I knew if I were drowning, you'd try to save me. And you see, you did. And that's how I saved you, George. George? You know my name, honey. Oh, yes, indeed. I know all about you. From the time you were a little boy. Say, now, what is it? Who are you, anyway? 
Clarence Oddbody, AS2. AS2, what's that AS2? Angel second class. <laughs> it's funny, I know I didn't have anything to drink. But don't you, don't you see, George, I'm your guardian angel. My what? Your guardian angel. Oh, uh, well, you look just about like the kind of a guardian angel I'd get. <laughs> of a fallen angel, aren't you? What happened to your wings? Oh, I... I haven't won my wings yet. You'll help me, won't you, George? Oh, sure, sir. <coughs> I'll help you the same way I've helped everybody else, my wife and my kids and my friends. I mean, look, why don't you go off and haunt somebody else, huh? No, no, really, George. You shouldn't talk like that. Why not? For all the good I've done, I wish I'd never been born. What did you say? I said I wish I'd never been born. Oh, you mustn't say that. You, you... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's an idea. What do you think, sir? I told you what I thought. Shh, I... Shh, shh. Yes, sir. Very well, sir. All right, George. You've got your wish. You've never been born. How's that? You've never been born. You don't exist. You haven't got a care in the world. Hey, you know, that's mighty funny. Oh, I'm not trying to be amusing. No, no, I didn't mean it that way. You know, you've been talking into my bad ear. I've been hearing you perfectly. Well, of course. Hey, you know what? If my clothes were dry, I think I'd go outside but, and have... But uh, they are dry, George. Hey. Hey, so they are. Look, I want to check on some things. Let's, uh... Let's take a walk and we'll go up and... Uh, oh, excuse me. I'll walk, you fly. <laughs> oh, I... I can't fly. I haven't got my wings. Oh, that's right. I forgot. But don't you worry, George. I'll be around. It's funny. I know this road. I'm sure I know it, and yet... There's a signpost, George. Yeah. One mile to Pottersville. But that's wrong. That's all wrong. This is Bedford Falls. It was Bedford Falls. But you, uh, you weren't here, remember? Old man Potter gobbled it up. But right here, this turn on the road, this is Bailey Park. I worked like a dog to put over that. Why, it's over 60 low-priced houses, and they're gone. They're, they're not here. They never were here. You didn't live. You didn't build them. So you see, all there is out here is those old shacks over there in this, uh, cemetery. A cemetery? Yeah. You can read some of the headstones for yourself. Now, uh, here's a, an interesting one. What's this say? In memory of our beloved son, Harry Bailey, 1911 to 1919. But that's a lie. Harry went to war. He got the Congressional Medal of Honor. He saved the lives of every man on that transport. No. No, every man on that transport died. Harry wasn't there to save him because you weren't here to save Harry when he fell through the ice. You see, George, you see how important your life was? But I... Clarence. Yes, George? What about Mary? Well, please, George, I'd rather not... Oh, you heard what I said. What about Mary? She's no maid, George. <laughs> she never married... She has charge of the library now, and when the youngsters talk too loud, well, she gets mean and nasty. Mary? Well, she couldn't be like that. I'm afraid she is. 
If you'd like to see her. No, 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 not like that. I, I want her to be just like she was. I want to see her that way. Clarence, listen, I want to see her that way. I don't... Please, you, you've got to help me here. I, I don't care what happens, but I, I want to live. You hear me, Clarence? I want to live. I want to live, Clarence. see Mary. I want to live. I want to... Hey. It's funny how to get back on the bridge here. What's this? All those houses over there. That's Bailey Park. That's not that... That's Bailey Park. There on that neon sign. Right over at the entrance of the bridge there. The welcome to Bedford Falls. That's what it says. It says Bedford Falls. Welcome to Mount. Merry Christmas, Bedford Falls. Merry Christmas, Bailey Park. Merry Christmas, world. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Hey, Mary, where are you? Merry Christmas. Thank you, God. In here, George. Oh, Mary, darling, I... I couldn't wait to see you. Hey, hey, what's all the crowd here for? Merry Christmas, George. Merry Christmas, George. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Hey, what is this? What's, what's going on here? Oh, George, it's a miracle. A miracle? She did it, George. Mary did it. She told a few people you were in trouble, and they scattered all over town collecting money. Nobody asked any questions. They just said... If George is in trouble, count on me. You bet you. We go over the top by four hundred dollars. How's that, eh? Oh, it's wonderful, Bob. It's great. I don't even know what to say. What oh, do I say? you don't say. You leave that to us. All right. Now everybody, all together. Sure, it's so nice old 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 acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind. Good old Listen, George, the bells. Merry Christmas, darling. A Merry Christmas for every bell. <laughs> when I was a child, Mother used to say that every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. Well, you know, I wouldn't be a bit surprised. Had a boy, Clarence. Had a boy. And so the curtain falls on It's a Wonderful Act. And now here are James Stewart and Donna Reed back on stage to take a final and very well-deserved bow. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, Jimmy, we're the ones who should be thankful to you and Donna taking the time out of this busy pre-Christmas season to come here and give us such a wonderful show. Well, we hope you like it, of course. And look about that uh, taking the time. There isn't an actor in Hollywood who wouldn't do the same thing. You know why? Because this is our show. This radio series helps support the Motion Picture Relief Fund. And I'd like anyone to show me a better cause than that. Believe me, we're going to make this the most exciting half hour of the radio week. Now, just for example, next Thursday night... Jimmy, uh, excuse me, hmm? but haven't you forgotten something more important? More important? Now, what could be more important than that? Oh. Oh. Oh, that. Oh. Well, uh, isn't it a little early? 
They always told me it's never too early. Oh, by golly, you're right. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. <laughs> oh, Merry Christmas. Good night. Next week, to add some laughs to the Christmas season, Stars in the Air will bring you Warner Brothers' riotous comedy, John Loves Mary, starring Ronald Reagan and Virginia Mayo. It's a Wonderful Life was based on the story by Philip Van Doren Stern and was presented through the courtesy of Paramount Pictures, whose current release is My Favorite Spy, starring Bob Hope and Hedy Lamarr. James Stewart will soon be seen in Cecil B. DeMille's production for Paramount, The Greatest Show on Earth. Donna Reed appeared through the courtesy of Columbia Pictures. She can soon be seen in their production, The Dark Page. Stars in the Air was transcribed in Hollywood. Stay tuned now for Hollywood Soundstage, another new dramatic series having its premiere performance tonight on CBS Radio. Tonight, it's Betty Davis and Gary Merrill in The Dark Mirror. Listen to CBS Radio's first Hollywood Soundstage production next on most of these same stations. This is the CBS Radio Network. Merry Christmas, everybody. Third day, January 4th, 2018. Okay, let's see what the next show will play. Jaws Professional Christmas Shows Folders. All tab items view multi select. Jaws Cont Utility Submenu is Leaves Christmas Show Theater Guild Stars in the Air Songs by Correct Screened Screen Saint Roger Rod Railroad Radio Readers Digest Page Up. Phil Harris Alice Bay 46121501 A present for Phil Aka Finch Stockholders. Phil Harris 511223 Stolen Christmas Presents Ozzy and Harriet Phil Harris 511223 Stolen Christmas Presents Phil Harris Alice Bay 46121501 Phil Harris Alice Bay 471221 Christmas Show Fitch Bandwagon Phil Harris Alice Bay 461 Unloading Can OK Enter Christmas Shows Folders Items View Multi Select Lit shining hair. That's what every girl wants. And that's the way your hair will be when you use Fitch's new cream shampoo. Fitch's cream shampoo leaves hair dreamy soft like moonlight, shining like bright starlight. 
Pitch is made with two beneficial beauty aids, lanolin and olive oil. Lanolin is used to soften the hair, to give it a brand new look. Olive oil is used to bring out sparkling highlights, to leave your hair gleaming and lustrous. And Fitch's cream shampoo is easy to use. Just a small dab whips into heaps of lather to thoroughly cleanse your hair and scalp. Then, just rinse with plain water and every bubble of suds is gone. Your hair is soft and bright, gloriously right. Looks as though it had been brushed and brushed and brushed. Fitch's cream shampoo is thrifty, too. Compare the size of the jar. Compare its low cost and buy it at drug or toilet goods counters. That's Fitch's cream shampoo, made with lanolin and olive oil for softer, shinier hair. F.W. Fitch Company, makers of Fitch Shampoo, presents the Fitch Bandwagon with Elliot Lewis, Walter Tetley, Janine Roos, Anne Whitfield, Robert North, Walter Sharp and his music, and starring Alice Fay and Phil Harris. <laughs> Ten days ago, the board of directors of the Fitch Company met in their office in Des Moines, Iowa, to decide on gifts to be sent to the stockholders of the company. Now let's go back 10 days and look in on the meeting. Mr. F.W. Fitch is speaking. Gentlemen, we've decided on presents for all our stockholders except one. What are we going to get for Phil Harris? But F.W., he's only got one share of stock. Why do we have to get him anything? Oh, that's not the Christmas spirit. W.Z. Phil Harris is entitled to a present. Don't you agree, J.R.? Huh? Uh, What's that? Did somebody say something? I said we ought to send Phil Harris a Christmas present. I have a suggestion, F.W. Yeah? Why don't you send Mr. Harris a bust of you? Oh, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that, W.Z. It would seem awfully hammy of me. No, I couldn't give Harris a bust of me as a Christmas present. Well, I don't see why not. That's what you gave us last year. <laughs> Did I give you a bust of me last year? Last year, the year before, and the year before that. <laughs> I have 19 busts of you in my house. <laughs> really? Well, well, where do you keep them, J.R.? Well, I... Oh, if I tell him, I'll get canned. <laughs> Never mind, J.R., I think it's an excellent suggestion. I'll send Mr. Harris a bust of me. I'll pack it well in Excelsior I and... You said yourself it's a little hammy. Dishkabibble. Let him call me a ham. We'll send the bus. And now, a week later, we look into the Harris home where Phil is writing a letter for the children. Hey, look, kids. Uh, maybe you'd better write your own letter to Santa Claus. After all, you know, when... Uh... Santa gets a letter it should like, uh, should look like it was written by a kid. Well, with your spelling, you couldn't tell the difference. <laughs> Never mind, Wingy. <laughs> Say, girls, do we have to write to Santa Claus? Of course we do, Daddy. When he writes to Santa Claus, he brings us whatever we ask for. I want a doll and a baby carriage. And I want a party dress and a new scooter. All right, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'll write it down. Dear Santa, 
Please bring us a doll, a baby carriage, a party dress, a new scooter, a pool table, and some cute chalk hold and it, a light Hold it, Hold it, hold it, Why are you asking for a pool table? If this stuff works, I want to be in on it. <laughs> Certainly, honey. He never fails. On Christmas Eve, he'll land on the roof with his reindeer, slide down the chimney, and land in the fireplace, and then with a big, booming voice, he'll say... Good morning, Philip. <laughs> I should have had a fire going in that fireplace. Hello, Alice. Hello, children. Oh, oh Philip, here's a package the postman just gave me. It's for you, and it's from Des Moines, Iowa. Say... I wonder what it is and who it's from. Well, if it's from Des Moines, it must be from the Fitch Company. And through the brown paper, I can see it's gift wrapped, so it must be a gift. And since it's only two weeks before Christmas, it must be a Christmas present. Thank you, J. Edgar Hoover. <laughs> now, do you mind if I open this? Well, you can't open it till Christmas. Well, I'm just taking the outside wrapping off. Hey. Look how pretty it's gift-wrapped. Look, there's a sticker on there, Phil. What does it say? Oh, wait a minute. I'll see. Season's greetings to my favorite entertainer, Phil Heron. From your pal, F.W. Fitch, maker of Fitch's dandruff remover shampoo and Fitch's new cream shampoo, the only shampoo containing both lanolin and olive oil, <laughs> you can purchase this shampoo. Oh, what a sneaky way to get into a commercial. <laughs> He's a cute guy. He had me reading that before I realized what it said. Well, I just thought of something. You didn't buy Mr. Fitch a Christmas present. Holy smoke, no, I forgot. Well, look, it's not too late. Now, listen, if we buy something today and send it out, then he'll get it in time. But now I want to get him something real nice. But, but what? Well, I have a suggestion, Philip. Uh, why don't you get Mr. Fitch a gift such as I received last year? I found it the most practical of my gifts, and now I, I just wouldn't be comfortable without one. Yeah, what is it? A flannel nightshirt with stocking cap to match. <laughs> oh, you kid. 23 skidoo and ta ra ra boom da. <laughs> well, you mean, well, don't make fun of it. I know, but a nightshirt and a stocking cap. How square can a guy get? <laughs> I'll tell you what, Phil. I have some Christmas shopping to do. Why don't you meet me in about an hour at Saks Fifth Avenue and we'll look for something for Mr. Fitch. Oh, yeah. Maybe we'll see a nice smoking jacket or a robe or a pair of... Yeah, we could... Oh, wait a minute, honey. I'll answer the door. Hi, Curly. Hi. Hello, Frankie. Hey, Frankie, guess what? Why? I just got a Christmas present from the sponsor. From the sponsor? Ain't that nice of them? You... I didn't get one. <laughs> going to leave now. Oh, hello, Frankie. How are you? I'm a little hurt. Well, I'm to send Curly a present and not me. You know, I'm on the show, too. I know, but that's different, Frankie. After all, who's the star of the show? Alice. <laughs> oh, well, let me put it this way. Who's the comedian on the show? Who gets all the laughs? I do. <laughs> Let me frame it this way. Who's the brains of my radio show? Your writers. <laughs> there must be some way of asking this question so I can come out on top. I don't think so, Curly. Now, look, Frankie. <laughs> Bill's got 
got the present because he's a stockholder of the company. Fine stockholder. They're holding it in trust for him. He doesn't even know how much he has. Hey. Hey, maybe the stock is in that package. I'm going to open Phil, that. Phil, don't you well, dare open that until Christmas. I'm leaving now, and don't forget, meet me in an hour at Sachs. Bye. So long, honey. Mm. Goodbye, Alice. Mm. Frankie, you don't have to kiss her, too. <laughs> Remember, I don't want either one of you to open that package. Open a package? Oh, we wouldn't think of doing a thing like that. Of course not. Well, I hope not. Goodbye. She gone, Curly? Yeah. <laughs> Frankie, put it down. It's my package, and I'm going to open it. <laughs> All right, but hurry up. I'm kind of anxious to see what... Hey, hey, Hi, Judith. You go away. Will you kid with this? Yeah. Hey, what's in that package? Christmas present? Yeah. Something that I got from my sponsor. What's he selling you something for? Well, he's been listening to the radio shows I've been doing for him, and he sent it to me to show what he thinks of me. That's why. Gee, I can't wait. I wonder what's in the package. Is it ticking? <laughs> no. Then I can't imagine. Okay, okay, there's a lot of paper on it. Well, well, what is it? Gee, just what I wanted, Excelsior. <laughs> That's the stuff they packed the present in. Take it off and see what's under it. Oh. Oh, okay, I got it off. Hey, here's the present. Hey, ain't that something? Must be, but what? <laughs> Hey! Hey, it is. It's a man's head. A man's head? I better look through the package for the rest of the body. <laughs> of F. Frankie, I just heard our option drop. <laughs> what do you mean? This is a bust of F.W. Fitch. F.W. Yeah. Handsome sort of devil, ain't he? <laughs> yeah. You know something, Franklin? He's the uh, rakish, debonair type. Yeah. Sort of a continental air about him. Yeah. You know something? He's a combination of Tyrone Power, Gregory Peck, Charles Boyer. Uh, Curly, uh, Curly, let's not overdo this. For what he's paying us, he ain't that good looking. I still think he's a funny looking geezer. <laughs> he is not. He's beautiful. Certainly he is. <laughs> Gee whiz. It's a wonderful gift. <laughs> Just what I needed. <laughs> What do you mean, funny looking? Well, look at it. It's yellow and coarse and dry. Looks like a mess of shredded wheat. Julia, that's the exalter. <laughs> hey, I think that's a very nice gift, Curly. 
You want to get something nice to send to Mr. Fitch. I know that. Hey, uh, incidentally, uh, what do you think I ought to send him? Why don't you send him back his butt? <laughs> Beat it, you poor man's Roddy McDowell. Get out of here. <laughs> Go pop tomatoes, you son of I'm always bothered with him. Every... Hey, look, Frankie, what? seriously. Now, Alice suggested that I get him something maybe like a, you know, like a nice smoking jacket. Oh, Curly, that's too corny. <laughs> What's your sense of something personal, something he can use? Where does he live? Iowa. What's that? <laughs> oh, Frankie, don't be too stupid. Iowa's a state. It's a western state, right next to Rhode Island. <laughs> Indian country, huh? Yeah. Well, look, Curly, as long as he's living in Indian country, let's get him something practical. Let's get him a cowboy suit. <laughs> Cowboy suit? Sure. Yeah. Oh, but look, Frankie, he's a businessman. Oh, so what? They all wear them out there. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen them on them out there. Maybe you're right. Sure. Hey, Frankie, I'll tell you, why don't you come along with me to Saks, and then you can help Alice and me pick one out. Okay, Curly, let's go. Hey, you want to know something, Frankie? What? I kind of envy Mr. Fitch living in that Indian country. You know, they take things easy out there. Your temper's getting the top hand. All you got to do is just stop and pass that peace pipe, bury that hatchet like the cock. Those chickens, those Chattahoochee Chippewas do. If you're feeling mad as a wet hand, mad as you can possibly get, then pass that peace pipe, bury that Tommy Hawk like those DMX Cherokee Chippewas effects too. Don't be cranky. Try to use a little restraint. And wipe off all that war pain. And if you find yourself in a fury, be your own judge and your own jury. Pass that, that peace pipe, bury that hatchet like the duck goes, chicken goes, chattahoochee, chippo, or two. If you want to hover out west, too, you will soon discover it's best to pass that peace pipe, bury that hatchet like the cho-cho chongo, chattahoochee, chicken, or two. In colonial days, you knew the ceremonial ways to pass that peace pipe and bury that Tommy Hawk like those Chiamese, Chepachek, Chickabees, too. Pull your ears in, try to use a little control. When all clears in, you be top man on the totem pole. So if you want to be an all right guy, not a long face, to the night guy, right that apology and because when you've called it scram to patch it, that's that peace pipe and bury that hatchet. Like the Choctaw's chickens, horse, Chattahoochee, Chippewa's, those to GMX, Cherokee, Shaboo, the Pex, those to Utah, these Chepatex, and Chickapees, Choctaw, Chattahoochee, Chattahoochee, Hey, Frankie. Huh? Here's the spot where we're supposed to meet Alice, right here in the men's department. But I don't see her. Do you see her anywhere? No, I don't. Hey, Curly, while we're waiting, why don't we take a look at some cowboy suits? Here in Saks? Hey, do you think they sell that kind of stuff in here? Well, sure. This is a swanky place. We can get a real nice one here. Let's ask that clerk over there. Hey! Hey, Carnation, come here! <laughs> Are you perchance addressing me, sir? 
yeah, do you carry uh, everything in menswear? Most assuredly, sir. We have all the necessary accoutrements that are requisite to the sartorial splendor of the impeccably clad. <laughs> hey, Curly, did he say something? He must have. His mouth was moving. <laughs> Gentlemen, I merely stated that we have everything in the line of clothing a man could desire. Now, what is it you wish, please? I want a cowboy suit. Well, yippee I okay. <laughs> Look, don't get gay, Buster, huh? Come on now, just show me. A, let me see some cowboy suits. Oh, yes, of course, sir. And just what sort of cowboy suit would you like? Well, any kind of one. Quiet, Tonto. I'm speaking to the lone lady. <laughs> Will you listen to me? I just want a regular cowboy suit. I see, sir. I have just the thing for you. A pair of shafts that's already bowed in one leg. <laughs> bowed in one leg? Yes. It's for cowboys who ride side saddles. <laughs> Say, can I get a straight man to wait on me? <laughs> hey, Curly. Here's an outfit that looks pretty good. Of course, it's $75. So what? $75. Yeah. For the boss. Well, I don't care how much it costs. Money's no object now. Hey, look. I'll take it and you can uh, just charge it, Bob. Very well. What's the name, please? Alice Faye. <laughs> I'm sorry I didn't recognize you. You look much better in pictures, <laughs> Please, look, just have the gift wrapped, will you? And then I'll stop back for it in a few minutes. Very well. It'll only take a few minutes. You wasn't very nice of you. You too. Pretty clever. Hey, look, Frankie, I'll tell you what'll happen. Now, look, uh, I hope Alice ain't going to mind that I went and picked the present out without her, but it, it's going to be a cute suit. And, you know, she sort of had her mind set on that smoking jacket. Oh, and there I... you are. What kept you so long? Oh, hello, honey. Uh, well, look, Frankie and oh, I just well, bought... I hope you don't mind, but while I was waiting, I bought Mr. Fitz a stunning smoking jacket. Yeah, Alice, but I was going to tell I'm you... I'm having a gift wrapped, and I just know Mr. Fitz will love it. Yeah, but Alice, do you think a smoking jacket is nice enough? Oh, listen, the one I picked is beautiful, and Mr. Fitz will adore it. Now, let's go and pick it up so we can mail it. Come on, fellas, come on, let's hurry. Okay, honey, okay, go ahead. We're right in back of you. Hey, Frankie, better go back and cancel that cowboy suit. I don't want to. I like it. I think that's what we ought to send. Never mind. Now, cancel the suit and go back there and take it back. No, wait a minute. What? Look, I got to get something for William for Christmas, so I'll give him the cowboy suit. <laughs> Maybe you'll take the hint and go west. <laughs> Isn't that a stunning creation on that model over there? How'd we get in the women's department? Oh, I just thought we'd stroll through in case somebody saw something he might want to buy for somebody for Christmas. <laughs> this kid's as subtle as a sailor with a six-hour pass. <laughs> Look, honey, I'll tell you what you do. Now, you go ahead and get the smoking jacket, and we'll wait here, and then we'll meet all you after right, you get all off. Right, but, hey, Frankie. What? Hey, Alice likes that thing on the model, so I'm going to take this opportunity and get it to her for Christmas. Now, look, you stay here and buy it, and then I'll join Alice so she doesn't suspect anything. Okay, sure. Wait a minute. Now, wait. I want to write out a card to put in. Okay. Yeah. There. 
Now, you buy it and put this card in. Okay. Shall I charge this to Alice, too? <laughs> no. I'll pay for this. I can get it from her later. Now, go ahead. Get it and put this card in. Yeah, okay, Curly. And I'll pick up the cowboy suit, too. I'll meet you back here. <laughs> Here's Mr. Fitch's present, all wrapped. Oh, gee, well, let me have it, and uh, I'll address it, and then I'll mail it Curly, for you. Hey, Curly, oh, I took Frank. care of everything. Oh, I see you've been doing a little shopping, Frankie. What have you got in those two packages? Uh, uh these. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, that's something I got from my grandmother. Oh, that's... <laughs> yeah, she's a good-natured schnook. I always get it somewhere. <laughs> hey, come on, let's get out of here, because I want to take Mr. Fitch's present over and mail it. Uh, oh, I'll do it for you, Curly. I, uh, got to get some stamps. Anyhow. Oh, all right. Thanks, Frankie. Now, look, you may let me know we get you down to the car. Meet us down Yeah, there, okay. Huh? Wait for me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Gee, I hate to see Curly send Fitch a smoking jacket. Don't show no originality. But if the old boy got a cowboy suit, he'd love Curly. <laughs> of course, the only way he could get the cowboy suit would be for me to mail the wrong package. Oh, Remley, what a despicable, conniving thought. <laughs> I do this. Yeah, I wish Frankie would hurry. Hey, honey, you know something? Do you think we spent enough for Mr. Fitch's present? Oh, Phil, it isn't what you spent for a present. It's the thought behind it. Remember, the moon belongs to everyone. The best things in life are free. The stars belong to everyone. They gleam there for you and me. The flowers in spring, the robins sing, the sunbeams that shine. They're yours, they're mine, and love can come to everyone. The best things in life are free. Well, the is, remember this, that where we think you're not be far from, for the moon belongs to everyone. For the best things in life are free. I thought you'd never get home, Annis. Uh, what did you and Philip buy for Mr. Fitch? We sent him a smoking jacket, Willie. Oh. Yes, and it's a very different-looking smoking jacket. That it is, that it is. <laughs> uh, say, Curly, I gotta run along. What do you want me to do with these two presents for Alice and Willie? Oh, Frankie, now you spoiled it. You always have to do... You weren't supposed to say anything. Well, you, you bought a present for me, Philip? Oh, yes, I did. Here. Oh. 
I might as well give it to you now, but remember, don't open it till Christmas. Oh, I can't wait till Christmas. No, I just have to open it now. No, wait a minute, Willie. That ain't... Oh, look at this. A smoking jacket. A smoking jacket? Oh. But I bought you something else. Oh, those careless clerks. (laughs) Now, wait a minute, William. Wait a minute. This is the smoking jacket I bought for Mr. Fitz. Frankie, what package did you make? Uh, would you excuse me, folks? I gotta get down as a delicatessen and help a guy file a warts off the pickles. He's got a family. <laughs> well, Frankie, what did you do? Now, did you mail him the What's other... What's in this package? Oh, I'd better open it and see. Now, wait a minute, Alice. Don't do that. That's your present, and I don't this want you... This is my present. Oh, yeah. Do you like it? Sure, it's just what I always wanted, a cowboy suit. You got the cowboy suit? Frankie, don't look at me like that, Curly. This I didn't plan on. Oh, by mistake, I must have mailed the presents you got for Alice. You sent Mr. Fitch the thing I got for Alice? Oh, no, no, no. You know, J.R., I just received this package from Bill Harris. Now, wasn't it nice of him to send me a Christmas present? If you say so, F.W., what's in it? I don't know, but I'll open it and see. I just can't wait till Christmas. Well, I'll be a... What is it, F.W.? What did he send you? A sheer black negligee. Don't you think that'll be a little too chilly for you? <laughs> and just look at this card he sent with it. What does it say? Dear Dreamboat, <laughs> on you this will look good. <laughs> Love, Curly. <laughs> Bill and Alice will be back in just a moment. Is your shampoo doing right by you? Yes, is your shampoo doing right by you? My shampoo lather's all right, but it doesn't remove my dandruff. I've tried one shampoo after another. They all suds up and rinse out, but I still have dandruff. If your shampoo is letting you down when it comes to removing dandruff, switch to Fitch. Fitch's dandruff remover shampoo. It's guaranteed to remove all dandruff. Medical authorities say there are two kinds of dandruff. One is loose and flaky. It's the unsightly kind. The other clings to the scalp. It's the invisible, irritating kind. If your present shampoo is doing only half the job, removing only part of your dandruff, remember, Fitch removes both kinds completely. So be free of unsightly dandruff. Be free of invisible, irritating dandruff. Yes, be free of all embarrassing dandruff. Fitch is the only shampoo whose guarantee to remove dandruff with first application is backed by one of the world's largest insurance firms. So switch to Fitch at drug counters, barber, and beauty shops. Ask for Fitch's dandruff remover shampoo. Fitch shampoo does right by you. Well, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Why did you and Frankie open the Christmas present Mr. Fitz sent you? Well, we had to open it. Frankie said it was the only way I could show that I had the Christmas spirit. 
What do you mean? Well, I had to find out how much Fitz spent on me so I'd know how much to spend on him. <laughs> That's the Christmas spirit. Tune in next week when the F.W. Fitch Company again brings you the Fitch Bandwagon with Alice Faye and Bill Harris. This program was written by Ray Singer and Dick Chevrolet, directed by Paul Phillips. Alice Faye appears to the courtesy of 20th Century Fox. The part of Frankie was played by Elliot Lewis. shinier hair, use Fitch's new cream shampoo. It's made with both lanolin and olive oil. Lanolin to soften olive oil for sparkling highlights. Try Fitch's cream shampoo. Bill Foreman speaking. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Okay, the Phil Harris Hour of Faith Show. December 15th, 1946. All right, let's go with the Fibber McGee and Molly Mac show. Yesterday, USA, Thursday night, January 4th, year 2018. Jaws. All control escape. Chris. All tab. Christmas shows folders. Exit. Options. Sub escape. Leaving menus. Christmas. Phil Harris. Al Phil Harris. Alice Faye. F. Fibber McGee and Molly folder. First night. Great. F. Fibber McGee 4712. Fibber McGee 401. Fibber McGee 411. Fibber McG411, Fibber McG411, Fibber McG431, Fibber McG441, Fibber McG4, Fibber McGF, First Nighter 4, Fibber, Fibber McG, Fibber McG and Molly 511220506780, The Spirit of Giving. Fibber McG4612, First Night, First Nighter, F, Fibber McG and Molly Folder, Enter, Shell Folder, Fibber McG and Molly 126491, Not Selected, Fibber McG and Molly 122843, Fibber McG and Molly 1224466, Fibber McG and Molly 1224461, Fibber McG and Molly 1224341, Fibber McG and Molly 1224647, Fibber McG and Molly 122148. Fibber McG and Molly 122143. Fibber McG and Molly 1220492. Fibber McG and Molly 1220491. Fibber McG and Molly 1212944. Fibber McG and Molly 1218445. Fibber McG and Molly 1218445. Unloading job. Can't OK, but enter. Fibber McG and Molly folder. Items view multi. The Johnson Wax program with Fibber McGee and Molly.
makers of Johnson's Wax products for home and industry present Bibber McGee and Molly, written by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie, with music by the King's Men and Billy Mills Orchestra. What two things are you most anxious to have in your home? Aren't they beauty and cleanliness? Well, think for a moment how easily and inexpensively you can have both beauty and cleanliness just with an occasional application of genuine Johnson's wax to your floors, furniture, and woodwork. A rich, mellow, polished wax surface is a thing of beauty in itself. The wax brings out the grain and beauty of the wood. It adds a soft luster to leather, linoleum, and metal surfaces. And, of course, this tough wax film protects these surfaces against wear, dirt, and moisture. Dust and dirt do not adhere readily to a wax-polished surface. So cleaning is not only easier, but a waxed home is actually cleaner and more sanitary. Johnson's wax is of the very finest quality and long-wearing. The cost is really very little. So why not practice protective housekeeping in your home with genuine Johnson's wax? Dealers everywhere carry it. There are certain people who simply won't admit that nature does anything right. They are the kind who gild cattails, paint whose little tootsie are you on the shells of baby turtles, and clip poodle dogs to look like anemic lions. Here's one of those people now, as we meet Fibber McGee and Molly. Hey, Fred, how much you charge me to paint this Christmas tree white? Why do you want it white, McGee? What do you mean, why do I want it white? You got a hundred trees in this lot you've painted white? Yeah, and I think they're horrible. What? Some people like them that way. Never mind the artistic comment, Fred. How much? Ten dollars. Ten dollars? To spray a little white paint on this half-pint tree? Who do you think you are, Rembrandt? <laughs> Look, looky here, maybe you didn't understand, Fritz. I want this tree painted white, not gold-plated. Ten bucks. You're a pirate, and I'll bet you've made $200 already today. You're a cheapskate, and I've made $340. <laughs> You're a robber, and you want to sell a half interest in this joint? You're a stoop, and I wouldn't sell my own mother a half interest. You're a low-down, no good. Oh, that dirty, that dirty swindler. Ten bucks to spray a little tree white. The rat. Cheating people right and left, making 400 bucks a day. The chiseler. I don't know whether to report him to the OPA or make him a better offer for a half interest. <laughs> Low down chiseler. What's the matter, McGee? This time. It's that guy, Fred Corrigan, that runs the Christmas tree lot at 14th and Oak. That dirty pine broker. <laughs> Wanted to charge me 10 bucks to paint our Christmas tree white. Well, that does seem a little high, dearie. But think of the work there is to it. Putting all those needles back on after the paint dries. <laughs> they don't take the needles off. 
They just spray the trees. Whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. That's all there is to it. Well, if wishing will make it so, why don't you do it yourself? <laughs> if it's a $10 job, I can't afford to pay myself that much. Besides, <laughs> I haven't got a paint spray, so... Hey, haven't we got a paint spray attachment on the vacuum cleaner? Oh, dear. Oh, my gosh. I can have that tree painted white before you can say, don't it look awful? <laughs> McGee, please, I realize we need the house painted, but not on the inside. Let's leave the tree green. Oh, you'll love a white one, Snooky. It's the modern thing. Nobody uses green trees anymore. They're outmooded. Hmm. <laughs> you don't say. Well, tell me, Salvador. Uh, what color snow are people using this year? Chartreuse? No kidding, Molly. White Christmas trees are all the rage. Everybody. They needs. must be. They throw me into one. Now, look, sweetheart, just put the tree up and trim it. I love a green Christmas tree. Don't you, Alice? Don't I what, Mrs. McGee? Look, Molly, I'll put it up to Alice fair and square and let her give an opinion. Here's the preposition, kid. <laughs> if you were going to have a Christmas tree, which would you rather have? A dusty, drab, dirty old green one or a bright, snappy, glistening white one? Which, Alice? Mistletoe. No. Oh. <laughs> mistletoe. What an answer. Jeepers, don't you like to hang up a little bouquet of mistletoe, Mr. McGee? Oh, he's too shy, Alice. <laughs> I am not shy. What good is mistletoe? Catch somebody under it, and it's either somebody you can kiss anyway, like your wife, or you get a slap in the chops before you can point up to it. <laughs> mistletoe, bah. That's just poison ivy with berries. <laughs> Put some up, Alice, and you'll see who manages to spend most of his time loitering around beneath it. Yeah. <laughs> but honestly, now, dear, uh, do you like a white Christmas tree? Well, I like them all, Mrs. McGee. I don't care if they're purple. Gertrude always has a white one, though, and she likes them. Who's Gertrude? We know her. Oh, she's the boy who always rides past here in the cream-colored Cadillac and honks his horn sister. <laughs> Well, uh, himself here used to go with a man who owned a Stutz Bearcat's knees. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I gave her up for an old guy with a broken-down Maxwell's daughter. <laughs> but honestly now, Alice, don't you really prefer a white Christmas tree? Well, I got awfully tired of them, Mr. McGee. When I was a little girl, my father gave us kids some little tiny paintbrushes and told us to paint a Christmas tree white. Heavenly days. Wow. It must have taken you children a long time to paint a tree with little brushes. Uh, how long did it take, Alice? Oh, we never did get it finished. But it kept us off the streets till we were 18 years old. <laughs> well, I gotta wrap some presents. See you later. Bright kid. How all that lovely golden hair can grow out of that solid bone, I'll never know. <laughs> oh, she's awfully sweet, though, McGee. There isn't a mean thought in Alice's head. No, nor any other kind. <laughs> well, this ain't getting my tree sprayed. Where'd you leave the tree, dearie? Out in front. I can attach the vacuum cleaner cord from the porch light. Now, let me see if I get the porch... Come in. Oh, hello there, Dr. Gamble. Hello, Molly. How are you today, pantry paunch? <laughs> fine, Jumbo, fine. You out spreading a little Christmas cheer, telling your patients you're going to retire? Oh, <laughs> He's not going to retire for years yet, are you, Doctor? My dear, I will retire on that far distant day when I can write a personal check for $400 and not have the hired help at the Fourth National Bank burst into hysterical laughter. Why, <laughs> oh, go on, you old miser. You got that much buried under a loose brick in the fireplace right now. 
Trouble with you is you got more affection for a dollar than my wife has for a pound of butter. And that's the love match of the year, fatso. I <laughs> oh, have no right to say that, though, McGee. Dr. Gamble does more private charity work than anybody in town. Certainly. I'm a very noble character. When I walk down the street, flowers spring into bloom. Oh. Birds burst into song, and taxi cabs honk twice before they try to kill me. <laughs> Well, I gotta run along now. This is my busy season, you know. I suppose the children keep you pretty busy around Christmas time, Doctor, huh? No, it's the so-called grown-ups, my dear. Huh? This is the silly season when 200-pound men start climbing 49-cent stepladders to wire dime store angels to the tops of $3 Christmas trees and wind up in a $500 plastic cast. <laughs> Pennywise and compound fracture foolish. Don't you want to stick around and watch me trim our Christmas tree, Doc? I'm painting it white. Well, you don't have to do that, skip wit. Huh? When I put my gift for you under it, it'll turn white. <laughs> Billy Mills and the orchestra and the parade of the wooden soldiers. again. Clogs up like a sentimental woman at a sad movie. What seems to be the matter, dearie? This paint spray goes along all right for a minute, then it chokes up. And when it comes loose again, it throws a blob of paint that'd knock IQ out of the balcony. <laughs> well, found it on the porch steps. And maybe that'll loosen it up. Okay, I will. There, now, now try it. Dear. Okay. Psst. Ah! A heavenly days, Mickey. You almost hit me with that. I'm sorry, kiddo. I didn't know it was loaded. Well, here we go. <laughs> There, now, just up the, 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 Dad ratted had done it again. Clogged up. 
Well, hurry up and get the job finished, McGee. Mm. It's colder than a lineman's lunch out here. <laughs> well, you go on in the house if you want to. I can handle this all right. No, I've got to stay out here and tell people who you are. Huh? <laughs> you get a little more of that white paint on you, and they'll think you're a badly constructed snowman. <laughs> ah, that does it. Now, I'll have this tree straight before you can... Watch your aim, dearie. Huh? No, you better shut it off. Here comes Mrs. Carstairs. No. Hello there, Mrs. Carstairs. Won't you come in the house and have a slug of tea? No, thank you, my dear. I'm just out walking my Pekingese and must hurry along. What Pekingese, Carsty? I don't see him. Oh, it was too cold for him to come along, Mr. McGee. <laughs> but as long as one of us goes out, he's satisfied. Ah, oh, it's really a sweet little dog, Millicent. From what I've seen of him. Personally, I wouldn't have one of them four-legged dust mops as a gift. <laughs> Give me a man-sized dog. I ever tell you about the hunting dog I had once, Carsty, by the name of Durante? Durante? Yeah, what a nose that dog had. <laughs> Never forget one time we were walking through the woods. Me and my dog, pipe over my shoulder, gun in my mouth. What was that again? Uh, gun over my shoulder and pipe in my mouth. When all of a sudden, Durante freezes. He's on point. Nose quivering, tail out like a ramrod. One foot in the air. I raises my gun, walks slowly forward, and there, not ten feet away, was a guy sitting on a stump. <laughs> that was quite a dog, Mr. McGee. Trained to flush game wardens, was he? No, sir. I bawled the dog out, and then I was never so ashamed in my life. It was the smartest thing he'd ever done. Why? Well, sir, I got talking to the guy, and you know what? His name was Partridge. Oh. <laughs> Henry W. Partridge. Wasn't that wonderful, Karsty? No, I don't think that's so remarkable, Mr. McGee. In the light of what a police dog of mine once did. What was that, Millicent? After all, it's so cold out tonight, the baloney won't spoil. Well, this dog of ours was extremely intelligent. Mm -hmm. One day, I had him in the post office, and I noticed he was staring at the police posters on the wall. Suddenly, he dashed out the door and was gone. Probably went out to steal an apple off a fruit stand, Karsty. No. When I got home, he was gripping our butler by the vest pocket and was barking into the telephone, which he'd knocked off the table. When the police arrived, it turned out that Jarvis was wanted by the authorities in three states. Yes, but why was your dog holding him by the vest pocket, Millicent? That was where our butler kept his fountain pen. You see, he was wanted for forgery. <laughs> well, so nice to see you. Good evening. Jim. Who does she think she's kidding? I don't believe a word of that stuff. <laughs> I bet she made that whole thing up. <laughs> well, never mind her, dearie. Get busy with that paint before it freezes solid, huh? will you? Oh, oh, gee, it might at that. Well, back to work. Ah, oh, there she blows. Yeah. Uh, Stopped up again, McGee? Yeah, the doggone thing. <laughs> I only got about a third of this tree sprayed, too. Maybe if... Hey. What? How could Carstairs' dog be gripping the butler by the vest and barking into the phone at the same time? Why, <laughs> <laughs> oh, she didn't say he was gripping the butler with his teeth, dearie. Huh? You know, after all, a dog as smart as that could hold him down with one hind paw, dial the police station with the other, and use his front feet to take fingerprints. <laughs> yeah, maybe, but how she... 
Oh, well, why should I worry? Better yet. You're getting That's more better. paint on yourself than you are on the tree, McGee. Well, the wind keeps changing. They ought to make these paint sprays with a weather vane on them. Why, George, if, 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 Oh, dear. If. In the time you've taken to get this tree a dirty gray pet, I could have whitewashed the Kaibab National Forest with a flip gun. <laughs> well, doggone it, I don't see... Hello, folks. What's going on Hello, here? Hello, Mr. Wilcox. Hi, Junior. Pull up a front step and give yourself a three-point landing. <laughs> If you want your Christmas tree painted white, Mr. Wilcox, trot home and get it. Yeah, I won't be out here very long, Junie, as soon as I adjust the nozzle on this paint Hey, wait spray a minute, Mac. Go. Do you mean to stand there like a front man for painter's colic and tell me you're actually going to ruin that pretty little tree with white paint? Ruining that refugee from the forest primeval? Despoiling a magnificent evergreen? Ah, uh, skip the dramatics, Junior. <coughs> we know you memorized Evangeline in high school. <laughs> And you played the heavy in the Chautauqua Company of Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm, too, didn't you, Mr. Wilcox? The juvenile lead, if you please. I also had three seasons of Shakespeare. A likely story. When you play Shakespeare, son, that's when Othello needs a friend. Oh. <laughs> Everyone in Omaha, I'll have you know, said I was another Barrymore. Hmm. Why, when I came out in my tights and said, Oh, what a rogue and peasant slave am I. You can say that again. <laughs> McGee, I love Shakespeare. Go on, Mr. Wilcox. Is it not monstrous that this player here, seeing a lady forced to menial task and seeing such drudgery, would not then dispense a thing called Johnson's glow coat? <laughs> Forsooth, a goodly fluid, which spread upon the scullery linoleum would thus eliminate the scrub. No rub, no bath. <laughs> Just pour it on, and in one-third the time it takes for our glass to turn, it dries. <laughs> if Shakespeare ain't in the public domain, this two-bit Orson Welles is going to be sued for nine million bucks. <laughs> ah, yes, it dries, and so mirror-like it gleams. The porridge spilled, wiped off, leaves not a single spot. <laughs> the labor saved, the hours gained, the beauty seen. Tis glowcoat. Beloved by Chatelaine and serving wench alike. Your nearest dealer. Hey, hey, now wait a minute, Mr. Wilcox. Is that in Hamlet? My dear girl, it's in every Hamlet, every village, oh. every oh. town, city, and metropolis. <laughs> every place where a housewife takes pride in the appearance of her kitchen. And if I don't get back to the office in the next ten minutes, I'll find myself back in Chautauqua. <laughs> so long, kids. <laughs> was the biggest ham I've seen since Blue Boy went to the state fair. <laughs> he better be careful or he'll wind up on a platter with an apple in his mouth. Ah, but this ain't getting my tree sprayed. Well, hurry up. You almost got it done now. Yeah. Now, let's see. I get her all loosened up there. Ah, there she goes. Ah, this is the best it's been yet. Yes. Look how white the tree is getting, Molly. There's one question I'd like to ask you, McGee. Are you sure Don't that... bother me now, kiddo. I'm doing too good. Hot dog. Ain't that getting beautiful? I finally got this spray gun working perfect. I know, but look, McGee, I've been wanting to ask you if... Later, Tootsie, later. I'm just about finished now. Just up there a little bit. Ah, oh, gee, I'm through. <laughs> All done. And believe me, that's the whitest white Christmas tree you'll ever see. Now, won't you admit this is a mighty pretty effect, baby? Yes, if you like that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll go and make some hot coffee, dearie. Okay. McGee? Huh? Whose Christmas tree is this on the front porch? 
Oh, that's the one I bought this morning that I'm going to paint white. <laughs> what? Oh, my gosh, what tree did I paint? The one that's been growing there in the yard all these years. <laughs> Bring in the vacuum cleaner when you come. Have all that dead. If I ain't the dumbest bloke that ever drew breath. A wise guy. A know-it-all. Can't tell one tree from another, one that's grown and one that ain't. I'm a sapit. I'm a brainless, incompetent, ham-handed Butterfingers. If I wasn't so stupid, I'd never let me sit here and insult myself like this. <laughs> dead rat the oh, dead. Oh, hi, mister. What's the matter? I know that voice. Is that you, Teeny? Sure it is, I betcha. Mm. What you sitting there with your head in your hands for, mister? Got a headache? Want me to get you an aspirin, hmm? Mommy, too? Hmm? No, no, thanks, sis. Medicine won't touch the kind of headache I got. I just busted my ego in four places. Gee, I'm sorry, mister. Yeah. Oh, boy. Who did that? Huh? Who did what? Who painted that tree white? Hmm? Gee, is that ever beautiful? Yeah, but that ain't the one And I it's th- growing right there in your yard. Yeah, you see, I got a little confused. And oh, I Mr. I... McGee, you're wonderful. Huh? I am? Mm-hmm. You're the nicest man in town, I bet you. Hmm? You put your Christmas tree right out in the front yard where everybody can share it with you, didn't you? Well, I didn't exactly... Gee, all the kids in the neighborhood are going to love you for this, mister. Why, I can hardly wait you get it all lighted up. <laughs> you can't, eh? Hmm? I says you can't, eh? Can't what? You can't wait till I get it all lighted up. Gee, neither can I. <laughs> and you know what, mister? What? When it's, when it's growing in the ground like that, it can't wobble and fall over either. Mm-hmm. Our Christmas tree at home is always wobbly. Yeah, lots of people make that mistake, sis. They don't stop to think if they were a tree and got all lit up and then came into a warm room, they'd wobble a little too. Skip it. <laughs> so you think it looks all right out here in the front yard? Oh, huh? boy. I'll say... Mm-hmm. Now all the little children that haven't got Christmas trees can come and see yours, can't they? Yeah, I, uh, I kind of plan to get a lot of little bags of candy and stuff and let the kids help themselves Christmas Eve, sis. <laughs> I just planned that. <laughs> Think they'd like that? Gee, will they ever, and us kids will sing. Sing what? You know, the song we sing for you every Christmas time. "'Twas the night before Christmas, the one we just recorded. Oh. Would you like to hear it now, Mr. Hmm, would you, hmm? Yes. Yes, I believe I would, sis. Okay. Hey, Kenny, Johnny, Buddy, Randy, come here. He wants to hear it, all right. A wonderful bunch of kids going around the neighborhood with a 30-piece orchestra. <laughs> Christmas and all through the house Not a creature was stirring Not even a mouse The stockings were hung by the chimney with care In hope that St. Nicholas soon would be there The children were nestled all warm in their Sugar plums danced in their wee little 
Mama in her kerchief and I in my cap had just settled down for a long winter's
children are nestled all warm in their wee little beds. While memories of sugar plums dance in their wee This is the National Broadcasting Company. December 18th, 1945, Fever McGee Molly. Well, we got time to get the great girls we show in before we take it back to the automation system. So, stand by. Jaws Professional Fibber McGee and Molly Folder. Items with Idol Shelf Items with G. Great Gildersloves Folder. Halls of Ivy G. Grandson. Great Gildersloves 5512XXY The Chimes Rack. Great Gildersloves 411. Great Gildersloves 421. Great Gildersloves 441. Great Gildersloves 45. Great Gildersloves 461. Great Gildersloves 461. Great Gildersloves 471. Great Gildersloves 481. Great Gildersloves 481. Great Gildersloves 491. Great Gildersloves 491. Great Gildersloves 5012. Great Gildersloves 5112. Great Gildersloves 511219. Great Gildersloves 5112267424. Opening last Christmas present. Great Gildersloves 521224476. Guilty and Leroy alone for Christ. Gildersloves 531223528. Selling trees for needy children. Halls of Ivy Fives, Great Gildersloves 531, Great Gildersloves 521224 F476, Guilty and Leroy alone for Christ. Unloading Jaw Cans, OK but Enter Christmas Shows Folders, Items View Multi Select. Transcribed. The Kraft Foods Company presents Willard Waterman as the Great Gildersleeve. <laughs> Just about this time each week, we usually bring you some hints and ideas about using some of those fine craft foods. 
But we just don't have time to do that tonight because Christmas is in the air. And the craft choristers are waiting with a traditional carol. Gildersleeve's town of Summerfield is imbued with all the excitement and anticipation that attends the Yuletide season. There's the hurried search for the last-minute gift, the elaborate preparations for the big family dinner, and people are saying Merry Christmas to people they've never seen before. Some folks like to put up the tree very early and enjoy its fragrance and beauty, but it's traditional with the great Gildersleeve to decorate his tree on the day before Christmas. Leroy... Don't just jump up in the air and toss things on the tree. Oh, gosh, Uncle doesn't have enough tinsel on top. Here, let me hang it up there. Okay. Yeah. I can't reach the top either. I got an idea. Oh? Boost me up to the chandelier. I'll swing past and drop things. <laughs> Leroy, you're not a monkey. But I can do practically anything a monkey can do. Yeah, well, let's leave well enough alone. Okay. A tree doesn't need many decorations anyway. Just presents. Yes, yes. Leroy, how are you and this guilty doing with the tree? We can't get enough stuff on the top, Bertie. Did anybody think about using the kitchen stool? Why didn't I think of that? Because you're not as smart as Bertie? <laughs> <laughs> Leroy, that's a risky thing to say before Santa Claus comes. Hey, excuse me. I beg your pardon. I'm sorry. I'll get the stool. <laughs> Why, George, he's on good behavior today, Bertie. Yes, sir. You think we have enough lights strung on the tree? Oh, yes, sir. I wouldn't change a thing. Here's the stool, Unc. Fine. It's too bad Miss Marjorie and Mr. Bronco ain't here this time. Yeah, but they'll just miss it. That's all. It's their tough luck. No mail from them this morning? Nah, they're not thinking about us. Well, I'm a little surprised that we haven't even had a card from them. Well, Bertie better get back to her kitchen. Just because there's only three of us, Bertie's not going to go slow down in the kitchen. Keen, Bertie. <laughs> yeah, I guess you'll have to, Bertie. I'm up in the tree. 
Eggman. Modernist Cooley. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I came to the front door because I'm not here on business. Hello, Bertie. Uh, come in, Cooley. Merry Christmas. Thank you. I brought something for your tree. Hello, Leroy. Hi. I find it pays to remember my customers this time of year. Hello, customer Gildersleeve. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Cooley. That's very nice of you. What did you bring? Leroy, it isn't polite to ask. Well? Oh, that's all right. I brought the water commissioner an egg poacher. An egg poacher? That's nice. I always give a lot of thought to my Christmas presents. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Now, let's see what we have for Mr. Cooley. What are you going to give him, a gallon of water? Ah, 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 you'll have to come up with something besides water. On the farm, we have our own well. Bertie, where is our gift for Mr. Cooley? Here it is, Mr. Cooley. Well, thank you. I better get back and look at that oven. The card says, do not open until Christmas. It's a necktie. Leroy. <laughs> well, he told us about the egg poacher. Glad you told me, Leroy. I wouldn't like to lie awake tonight wondering about it. Well, I'll take my loot and go home. Well, have a nice holiday, Cooley. Thank you, sir. I suppose you're expecting all the family over for Christmas. Well, Marjorie and her family are out of town. This year it'll just be Leroy and me. Yeah, we're going to have a ball, I'll bet you. It's too bad you won't have all your family together. We're having a house full. Yeah, that's nice. All of my folks will be there, and there'll be Mrs. Cooley's sister from Kalamazoo and her brother from the Chicago Zoo. <laughs> No kidding? He works there. Oh. <laughs> well, if you get a little lonesome, Mr. Gildersleeve, bring Leroy out to our house. Well, thanks, Mr. Cooley, but we'll be fine. Yeah. Who's going to be lonesome? Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Well, Leroy, I guess the tree is ready. Unc, why does everybody feel they have to have a lot of people around just because it's Christmas? I haven't the vaguest idea. I guess they're just not as self-sufficient as we are, that's all. I don't know anybody who's going to have a nicer Christmas. Do you? Heck no. That's what I've been telling myself. Right. Yeah, right. Remember when there were so many of us it took all Christmas morning to open our presents? Yeah, I remember it well. But this time it'll be different. I can open a present, you can open a present. Heck, we'll have all that stuff over within half an hour. <laughs> I uh, suppose it would be nice, though, to... See Marjorie and Bronco. Yeah, but if they were here with the twins and the in-laws, what a clam bake. Well, Christmas is no time to bake clams. Yeah. <laughs> pretty good, huh? <laughs> yeah, 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 pretty good. <laughs> Leroy. Yeah? What are we laughing at? I don't know. <laughs> part of the family away. I guess it isn't going to be much of a Christmas for Leroy. Well, I'll drop into Peavy's and get an extra surprise for him. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Peavy. Hello, Mr. Gildersleeve. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Oh, Merry Christmas. <laughs> what can I do for you today? Peavy, what Christmas presents do you have left? Yeah, I'm just about cleaned out. <laughs> Say, you don't have much, do you? Christmas business was so good, I dipped into some of my leftover Easter stock. <laughs> really? I took the cotton tail off the bunny rabbit, put it on his chin, and sold it for Santa Claus. Peavy. 
You didn't. <laughs> well, I could. What color rabbit do you want? <laughs> no, no. I'm looking for a gift for Leroy. I thought you'd already bought him a bike, a football, a new skates. Yes, but this is a bonus gift. A little something to fill his stocking. And what about a chocolate malted milk? <laughs> now, Peavy, I'm looking for something unusual. That's pretty unusual. <laughs> yes, yes. Peavy, come up with an idea. Well, I presented Mrs. Peavy with a rather unusual gift this year. You did? I gave her a train ticket back to her mother. <laughs> Peavy. She wanted to spend part of the holidays back there. Oh, I see. Then we're giving our parrot some canary seed for Christmas, but that wouldn't do for Leroy, I guess. Well, I see I'm getting nowhere here, Petey. Mr. Gildersleeve, in the spirit of Christmas, I'd suggest that you try to find something at Hogan Brothers. You're not even going to try to sell me? No, right now all I'm trying to do is to get you out of the store. <laughs> what? I want to lock up for an hour and go hear the craft choruses. Oh, say, they're singing around the community Christmas tree in the square, aren't they? I'm here to tell you. I just may go down there and help them out a little. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Peavy. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Hey, Christmas. No! <laughs> My goodness. Peavy, you're the one who should eat the canary seed. Well, no, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> Boy, look at the people. Hogan Brothers is booming. Mr. Beckley, it's Yeah, I think I'll look in the sporting goods department. <laughs> By George, I'll find something to brighten Leroy's Christmas. If I can get to the counter in this crowd. Uh, pardon me, madam. Miss, coming through. Oof. Watch that umbrella, lady. Hmm, I was almost shish-kebobbed. One at a time, one at a time, uh, please. Clerk, I've been waiting. Oh, no, you haven't. I saw you push through the crowd, pushy. <laughs> now, see here. I'm the water commissioner, and I'd like to see something nice for a boy. How about a girl? <laughs> Smart Alec. Why don't you just look around? In a moment, I'll be glad to help you. Uh, would you like a gift wrap, madam? Uh, now, let's see. There's some basketballs, punching bag, table tennis. Mr. Beckley, cash. And Mr. Yes, young man. I'd like to buy this fishing rod. Well, I'm afraid that rod isn't for a boy. Well, that's Leroy. I don't want it for a boy. I want it for my uncle. Oh. That rod is quite expensive. Well, that's okay. My uncle isn't going to have much of a Christmas. I've got to cheer him up. Well, this should do it. What a boy. Let me see how much I got now. Uh, one dollar, two dollars, two fifty, seventy-five, seventy-six, seven, eight. Little Leroy. Spending his pennies on me. I guess I don't have enough. Oh, we have some cheaper ones. Uh, Leroy! Hi, Unc. Uh, excuse me, there's a lady at the end of the counter waving some money at me. Unc, what are you doing here? Well, I might ask you the same thing. I asked you first. Leroy, I know why you're here. I couldn't help overhearing what you said to the clerk. Well, gosh. Where were you? Yeah, I was looking at the punching bags. <laughs> Unc, how, how, how about having lunch on me? I'm loaded. You load it. <laughs> no, lunch is on me, my boy. Come on, we'll shop later. Hey, that's the craft choristers across the street in the square. Let's go here. You bet. Nothing like carols at Christmas. Yes, yes. 
They sing nicely, don't they, Mervoy? They sure do. group of singers. Hey, Leroy? Yeah, Keen. Hey, look. There's Mr. Peavy over by the platform. It's a wonder he isn't up on it. And look, Unc. Chief Gates and Floyd Munson. Yeah, and there's Dr. Pettibone with his boy home from school. Looks like everybody's here except Marge and Bronco. Stiff upper lip, Leroy. Well. Shh. They're gonna sing again. The Great Gildersleeve will be right back. Well, Christmas is so close, the bells you just heard might very well be Santa's sleigh bells. But before that jolly fellow comes to you, this is John Heaston on behalf of all the folks at Kraft, wishing each and every one of you the merriest, jolliest Christmas of them all. Gildersleeve and Leroy are facing a situation they've never before had to face, an empty house at Christmas time. Each is trying to give the other the best possible Christmas, and the water commissioner is sure he has come up with the right answer. Bertie? Yes, sir? Leroy isn't home, is he? No, sir. Oh, good. What you got there, Miss Gildersleeve? More presents for Leroy. More presents? Yeah. Open the closet door, will you, Bertie? The closet's full. You better dump them here in the den and lock the door. Here's a good idea. Watch it, Bertie. Oh, just look at that. What'd you do, buy out the store? Well, just about. Yes, sir. Bertie! Uh-oh, Leroy. Come in! We better get out of here and lock the door. Bertie, is the postman 
He's made two trips, Leroy. No word for Marjorie and Bronco, huh? Nothing so far. Of course, you know how the mail is at Christmas. Yeah, that boy needs cheering up. Leroy? Yeah? I suppose you noticed I locked the den door. No, I didn't. Well, I did. And don't try to find out why I locked it. Okay. <laughs> Aren't you curious? Well, I guess it's something you don't want me to see. <laughs> um, can I go down to Piggy's? Yeah, I suppose so. Unless you want to stay here with Bertie and me. Well, they're having a swell time down at Piggy's. They got a house full. Oh. So long. Goodbye, my boy. Bye, Leroy. He doesn't seem very interested in his gifts, Bertie. No, sir. You got out of the house in a hurry. Mr. Gildersleeve, Leroy wants to be where there's something going on. Well, perhaps I should invite some people over for Christmas. Now you're talking. Why, George, why haven't I thought of this before? Why don't I ask my girlfriend? Miss Tuttle? You bet. Her family isn't here. And there's Peavy. He said Mrs. Peavy was going away for the holidays. Oh, Leroy likes Mr. Peavy. Sure, we'll have a crowd in. Yes, sir. Yeah, I'll get busy right away. Yes, sir. Merry Christmas, Bertie. Yes, sir. <laughs> Why, George, this is a great idea. I just wish it was working. Miss Tuttle would be out of town, visiting relatives. Oh, well, it'd be a lot of fun to have old Peavy. Hello, Peavy. Hello, Mr. Gildersleeve. Did you find something for Leroy at Hogan Brothers? Oh, a few things, Peavy, but Leroy and I want you for Christmas. Do you want me gift wrapped, or can Santa Claus just drop me down the chimney? <laughs> Well, Phoebe, we want you to come over and spend the day. Enjoy our Christmas with us. Well, I appreciate the invitation, Mr. Gildersleeve, but I, I've decided to go with Mrs. Peavy to see her family. Oh? Mrs. Peavy and I wouldn't enjoy spending Christmas apart. Oh, I see. I'm sorry your family can't be together this year. Well... Uh, excuse me, Mr. Gildersleeve, I'll wait on little Mrs. Potter. Oh? <laughs> She's still buying every pretty pill she sees? <laughs> Just about. Merry Christmas, Mr. Peavy. Well, thank you. The same to you. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Mrs. Potter. Merry Christmas. Who is that? It's Commissioner Gildersleeve. Oh, it's you, Sonny. <laughs> I didn't recognize you. Oh? Uh, my glasses are all fogged up. But you're coming through now. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Uh... Mr. Peavy, I'm still looking for a gift for a friend of mine. You don't say. She's so hard to buy for. She's never ill. Well, I don't know what to suggest. <laughs> of course, this is the mustard plaster season. So it is. If she doesn't use them this year, mustard plaster would keep well. Well, it is something she could wear, if she's lucky enough. <laughs> but then... She couldn't show off my gift. Uh, Mrs. Potter, have you thought of a nice atomizer? That's a thought. I'll take one, Mr. Peavy, if you'll put a gaily colored gargle in it. Uh. <laughs> well, I have several suitable shades. Red, green, lavender. I'll take the red. It's Christmas, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll tie some ribbon on it. See, Leroy likes Mrs. Potter. She might come over. Uh, Mrs. Potter. Yes, Sonny? 
How about coming over and spending Christmas Day with Leroy and me? We got a big tree. We'll have a lot of fun. Oh, Mr. Gildersleeve, it's nice of you to think of me, and I know I'd enjoy it. Good. Uh, but I'm spoken for. Oh. The party I'm buying the atomizer for invited me, and I couldn't miss that. Her husband's a doctor. <laughs> well, sorry you can't be with us. Here's the gift. Shall I charge it, Mrs. Potter? Oh, would you? I want to hurry back to the square to see the rest of the Christmas program. Oh, did you hear the craft choristers, Mrs. Potter? Oh, yes. And did you see the magician dressed like Santa Claus? No, no, I missed him. He kept making things disappear in his beard. Yes, I noticed that. He ate lunch in here. <laughs> he's so clever. Yes, he is. Mr. Gildersleeve, he's the same fellow we hired for the YMCA kids' picnic. Oh, Leroy didn't get to go to that. Say, Leroy likes magicians. I wonder if I could hire him to entertain Leroy tomorrow. I bet if you show him $20, he'll make it disappear. By George, anything for Leroy. Like a beautiful Christmas morning. You better get downstairs and see what Leroy's up to. You don't think I'll tell him a magician's coming. I'll surprise him. Awfully quiet downstairs. He's usually whooping and hollering. Am I the only one up? Why, George, this is the first Christmas I can remember that I've been awake before the kiddies. Uh, kitty. What's the matter with that boy? Leroy! Leroy, get up. Confound it, it's Christmas. I better plug in the tree lights. Make it look cheerful in here. You wonder why they always put light sockets behind couches. There. Morning, Miss Gilsey. Good morning, Bertie. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Where's Leroy? Oh, he's on the way down. I had to wake him up, Bertie. That ain't like Leroy. Well, this isn't like our usual Christmas. No, sir. Hurry up, Leroy. I'm coming. We've been waiting for you, my boy. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Unc. Merry Christmas, Leroy. Merry Christmas, Bertie. Well, now, I'll be Santa Claus and distribute the gifts. Okay. Leroy, do you want to be the first and open that big package? I know what's in it. I can see the bike pedal sticking through the paper. <laughs> Is that all you have to say? Oh, sorry, Unc. Thanks. Bertie, here's something for you. Thank you, sir. What, what's in here? Leroy, what you suppose I got? I don't know. Well, I'll uh, move some of these packages so I can get under the tree. Oh, oh be careful of the one on top, Unc. It's a music box. I got it for the twins. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll be careful of it. Oof, dropped it. It started to play. Maybe I better unwrap it and cut it off. Oh, that's so pretty. Why don't you let it run down? Let it play, Unc. Good idea. <sighs> that silent night. It sure is silent around here this Christmas. No, Rudy. 
I sure miss Miss Marjorie and them little twins. I wonder what they're doing this morning. Leroy, let's not let it spoil our Christmas. The fun's just beginning. Who are we kidding, Unc? This isn't Christmas. Well, it just doesn't seem like it because we're alone. I mean, the little family isn't all together. Here, here's another package for you, Bertie. Yes. And a big box for Leroy. Just put it by the bike. Oh, my goodness. I sure wish the twins was home to hear that music, Father. Please, Bertie, let's not dwell on the subject. I'm not dwelling on it. I'm just wishing they was here. Oh, oh, dear. You know, Bertie, last Christmas the twins were riding me piggyback. They sure were. And calling me Uncle Leroy. There's never a kid my age who's lucky enough to be an uncle. A lot of good death doing us today. Uh, shall we open more presents? Oh, Mr. Gilsey, it ain't just getting presents. It's wanting to give them and being with people you want to give them to. Well, that's true, Bertie, but... That's Christmas, and this ain't it. No, Bertie... It sure isn't. <laughs> no, wait a minute. This isn't all there is to Christmas. I have a surprise coming. Yeah? What is it? Well, I'll give you a hint, my boy. You know how you've always liked magic. Magic? You mean I'm getting a magician's kit? No, no, you just wait and see. You like this. I'll go to the door. You no, know, nobody. I'll get it. I think it's my surprise. Yes, sir? Yeah, that magician couldn't have come at a better time. Merry Christmas, Mr. Gildersleeve. Merry Christmas, Unky. Uh, Marjorie. Bronco. Oh, Miss Marjorie. Yes, yes, Bronco. Oh, it sure is. Hello, Bertie. Hello, Miss Marjorie. Hi, Marge. Hi, Bronco. Oh, how's my little brother? Hi, Bub. Come on in, Linda. Oh, Merry Christmas, Linda. Well, bless you, my dear. Ain't that cute? Hey, Linda, come on, climb on. I'll give you a horseback ride. Yeah, good idea. Oh, boy, what a Christmas. Say, where's Ronnie? Oh, he's still sleeping in the car. I'll get him in a minute. Mr. Gildersleeve, you're looking bigger and better all the time. <laughs> well, thank you, Bronco. Especially bigger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's great to see you folks. Oh, Unky, we wouldn't think of spending Christmas away from home. Oh, Miss Margie, all of you sure are looking well. Oh, thanks, Bertie. Well, by George, let's all go in and, and gather around oh, the tree. Oh, yes, let's do that. Yeah, we have oh, some presents to put on yeah, there. You bet. Unk. Huh? Yes, my boy. You sure figured out a swell surprise. Me? Couldn't be better. Well, I... No, I have to, Bertie. Now, how do I make a magician disappear? Here I am, Mr. Gildersleeve, with my bag of tricks. Well, uh, here, here's your money. Why don't you take the day off? Of course. You mean it? You bet. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Unc, what's going on? Just a little Christmas magic, my boy. Ladies and gentlemen, the Kraft Foods Company and the fine Kraft Coil Group, the Gildersleeve family and our friends wish you all a very Merry Christmas. Joy to the world, the Lord is 
The Great Gildersleeve was presented tonight transcribed. Tonight, play You Bet Your Life on NBC. JAWS Professional Desktop Folder View Alt-Tab Alt-Tab Items View Multi Alt-Tab Christmas Alt-Tab Settings Alt-Tab Sound Forge Pro 11.0 Escape 